Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Neon Crew podcast. Uh, I'm Kyle. Hey, everyone, and I'm McLean. Hey. Or, uh, Mac. McLean, using your government name. Wow. The usually, real MVP. Yeah. Usually you go by uh, Mac. Mac Daddy. Mac M with a C. No K. What's your middle name? I'm not throwing that. It's public dissemination. I, d- okay. Uh, no worries. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I hold that one. I, that's a nice little conversation for me. Because okay. you hit someone with like, your name's McLean. Oh, wow. What's your last name? Parker. And then we get into the, wow, two first names, two last names ordeal, right? Mm-hmm. And then what's the middle name? And that's when I can have like a, you know, fun time with it. You are you are someone who does have like two last names. Mm-hmm. Because normally you meet someone and they have two first names. I went to, and they're gonna, everyone's going to get a kick out of this, but I'm doing like a rec league soccer thing. Never mm-hmm. played soccer in my life, but it's with buddies. You know, we have a good time doing it. So first game today, but I went to do the registration. And the lady's like, all right, name, uh, McLean, you know. Okay. First name, <laughs> McLean. <laughs> Oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I see that now. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that happens to you quite often. Doctor's offices. I've gotten to the point where I just have to like lean into them messing up because everyone acts like they have yolk all over their face and it's like, it's not your fault. You know, I mean, it's a, I get it all the time. So. Usually if someone messes up my name in a way, it's because I'm at the Burger King drive through and mm-hmm. They I call you Stanley. No, they'll they'll ask me what my name is for the order, uh, and I tell them Kyle, and then they'll either spell it wrong or they'll use a completely different name altogether. Really? Like one time I went and they misheard me. Uh, they asked me what my name was. I said Kyle, and I pull up to the window and they're like Miles, and I'm like, No, Kyle. And they were like, You got a double cheeseburger, right? And I'm like, Yep. And you're, they're like, okay, Miles, here you go. I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess my name is Miles now. That's cool. the one, you know, it's funny getting it with watching these films that we're about to talk about too, seeing just small things like that. But that's a small battle that you really don't have to win. No. You know, I'd already say like you're kind of ahead of the game, not being the one handing over the food. But yeah. Small potatoes for a large fry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to you speak. Know. So that's the one. I And it's funny, I got... I got McDonald's after our, uh, the game on Friday because I was kind of just going to wallow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sat in there, and they were taking forever, you know. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, God, like, what happened to fast food? It used to be a lot quicker, you know, back in high school. <laughs> and then I kind of had the, oh, maybe time was, like, it, when you're in high school, everything's going by so fast that even when people took forever, it still felt fast because, mm-hmm. you know, you're still catching up to the world. Yeah. And then I did, you know, well – it could be a lot worse. I could be the one at that cash register at, you know, 1130 at night handing oh, yeah. over the food, you know. So I was like, all right, you know, it's I understand what's going on. This They probably don't want to be there either. Yeah. You know, time is going painfully slow for them as well. Oh, yeah. So, you know, because I, they're in they're in hell. Yeah. The hell known as uh, <laughs> capitalism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> True. So uh, anyway, um, we're going to talk about three movies all written by Charlie Kaufman. Uh, adaptation, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But first, uh, I have to make a episode correction for last episode. What? Yep. Dude, we, yep, we, me or you? We screwed the pooch on this one. Both? Uh, 
Eh, yeah, pretty much. Well, it's it's pretty minor, but it's worth addressing, I would say. Okay. So you remember the news story about Alec Baldwin accidentally shooting that person on that movie set? It was an accident, right? That sounds yeah, like yeah. Okay, okay, okay. No, no, no. That's okay. it. Really has nothing to do with that particular story, but we were comparing it to Brandon Lee and how he died, and how we were saying how the actor who shot him still has, uh, you know, nightmares about it to this day. Yeah. Yep. Um, that actor is definitely not having nightmares about it to this day because uh, he passed away in 2016. Oh. So. Uh, just a little minor hiccup that we had, but the actor Michael Massey uh, passed away in 2016, and we definitely made it sound like that he was still struggling uh, in this current time. Sure. So, yeah, probably uh, was still struggling in 2016. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he was uh, having a having a go with it up until the end of his life, but yeah, we definitely made it sound like he was amongst the living when we were talking about uh, about him. It's a good so. correction. I think someone else that listened to one of the episodes was talking to me about it, and it, I think they were using adjectives, or not adjectives, but English stuff. Was, <laughs> did. Past tense. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, man. You know, like, and then I just was like, it's, it's just like, a, hey, dude, he's not here. I kind of figured it was, but I didn't address it. Yeah, I think uh, I thought about going back and... Um, like inserting my own voice saying redacted or something just to oh, just to make it work. This isn't going to the Library of Congress. We're all right. Uh, you don't. Yeah, it's True. not. Not it's yet, not. at least. Not yet. Not until you tell your friends and their friends tell their friends. We're shooting for the stars. The Star Spangled Banner, that is. <laughs> Sick. Um. So, yeah, I just had to make that quick uh, correction before we moved on any further. Um. Cool. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, so like I said before, we're going to be talking about uh, three movies, so we're pretty much going to get into discussions almost right away. But you had an idea uh, for starting off this talk, this series oh. of talks, um, where we each go through uh, three of the movies that we watched and kind of rank them from what we enjoyed the most to what we enjoyed the least. I would say, I mean, just one kind of like compare. However you want to, you know, I mean, however your rank goes, my rank's probably going to be rewatchability. Okay. All right. Maybe once, I mean, there are definitely from each film takeaways. So, mm. uh, I was just saying it'd be kind of fun just to see where we stood at with these films. All right. And, and, and there is a definite, there's overlapping themes, but there's certain like contrasts between each film. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I think it's important to note too that each film is directed by somebody different. So adaptation was Spike Jones. Yeah. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was Michael Gondry. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Forgive me, Michael, if uh, you're listening. Shout out. Shout out. Um, and then I'm thinking of anything was directed by Charlie Kaufman himself. Yeah, it's not. I, I, I'm I'm thinking more so of the writing. Mm -hmm. I just you know. I yeah. Mean, I think from what I understand, and it's probably very simplistic, is just that the director takes the screenplay from the writer, mm -hmm. and then pretty much just like gouges it until there's nothing left of what the guy originally <laughs> wanted. You know, that's how I've. It's. That's I think. From what uh, I've heard. Yeah. I well, I think in Charlie Kaufman's case, he has a pretty good. Um, uh, threshold, or I guess that's not the right word. What word do I want to use? He's a pretty good sway into what goes into the movies that I would he writes. Think so. I mean, from watching these films, I would have to imagine that he doesn't 
even being John Malkovich, I think, is the one that put him on the map mm-hmm. from what I remember looking at. And uh, even that one's kind of meta. Yeah. You know? So uh, I, I definitely think that when someone takes his screenplay, they're going to be like, we're using your words because it's probably a little too heady for what I could direct. <laughs> you know? So there, the only reason why I say it, too, I was about to say uh, Kubrick directed Spartacus. Yeah. And, um, oh, who's the right? Who is that? Um, I could not tell you. I can, uh, here, you, I can. You look it up. I'm on Wikipedia. Yeah, I got, yeah, it, yeah, I got yeah. it at the ready. Um, uh, they made up um, a movie with Cranston played the writer. Um, the guy got uh, blacklisted being labeled a communist in, in uh, oh, I think Hollywood. I, I think I know what movie you're talking about that Cranston was in. Yeah. Um, if you could, because we will stumble over our words. Dalton of, Trumbo. Yes. And the movie, I think, was just called Trumbo. It was. That's what I was trying to remember. Anyways, there's uh, there was a leaked, um, or there's maybe like a um, editor's cut of Spartacus mm-hmm. with Trumbo watching what was being directed compared to what he wrote. And it is... It, from the little bit I heard, it's like five minutes of pure gold because mm. he pretty much watches it. And then he sees that Kubrick, you know, took everything and just pushed it off to the side, want to do his own thing. Yeah. So he used like the bones and you got two smart guys going at it. So Dalton was watching like the editing process and just like ripping into Kubrick, the actors, what was wrong with it, why it wasn't going with it. So anyways, that's why I was making the joke about, uh, you know, writers with the directors, because I definitely right. think there are times where there's probably a butting of the heads. But Kaufman films, I I don't feel like that happens. At you know, no, he's one. He's a pretty prolific writer in terms of uh, Hollywood. Yeah, uh, he can he usually, um, for the most part, uh, get a movie where he wants wants it to go. If if he's not the director, I would. Agree. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess we can. Uh, each go into our rankings. I'm probably going to more so go in terms of like what I enjoyed the most. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, you, you know, I just want to see, cause that's, well, it's probably going to be in rewatchability probably falls under that. Okay. Maybe not. Cause you might've enjoyed one of them. Like I'm never going to watch it again, but it made me think the most. So that's, that's kind of what I'm curious about. I think there's a correlation, but, um, I guess I can go into mine first and then sure you'll go into yours and yeah, we can kind of bounce off each other before we get into the meat and potatoes of it. Yeah. So, um, for me, I think my favorite out of all the three would be I'm Thinking of Ending Things. That's your number one? That's my number one. Right. And then my number two would probably be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Wow. And then number three is Adaptation. We're the like exact opposite. Really? Number number two falls into place. Okay. Number two, so like yeah, Eternal. Yeah, so we have, we have the same number two. Yeah, but uh, Adaptation was number one for me, and I'm thinking of Ending Things was number three. Ooh. But, um, okay. It's, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Ending Things. I did like, like I watched it, and it made me, it, it made me think, try to pick the pieces on, on what, what Kaufman's trying to say, or, yeah, you know, so, um, that's where I, that, that's what I was kind of thinking that we were going to fall into that, because, you know, mm-hmm. and we can talk about it. Should we, you want to go into adaptation first? Yeah. I figured we'd start with adaptation, right? And then, uh, go into, I'm thinking of ending things. What if we go with eternal first, since we both agree with it at number two, we could, and then we'll do adaptation. And then I'm thinking, cause I think I'm thinking of anything has like the most stuff going on it. Okay. okay. You know, and eternal, I think we're both going to have the same viewpoints on it. So I don't want to, Okay. you know, and that's, uh, we both agree on it. 
All right. Um, yeah, let's start with Eternal. So I guess I'll give a, a quick synopsis for that yeah. one since it was my recommendation. Um, so Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michael Gondry, screenplay by Charlie Kaufman, um, is about a guy named Joel in his, I would say, like mid-30s or so, played by Jim Carrey, uh, who meets a girl uh, played by Kate Winslet, um, Clementine, uh, and the two of them fall in love. They form a relationship, and then all of a sudden the relationship ends in a very nasty, brutal way. Um, Joel finds out that Clementine went to go seek the services of uh, a place that basically erases certain aspects of your memory. So uh, a lot of people use it for relationships. People will use it for pets that have passed away, um, life experiences that they don't want to remember at all. So he finds out that she went to that place so that she could forget about him. And then he decides to do the same thing. And then the movie plays out um, basically from the point of view of his head yeah. where he is um, trying to decide in his inner machinations whether or not he wants to go through with this procedure or if he wants to try and find a way to preserve the memories that he has, even if some of them are more painful than others. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the movie, I guess, without spoiling it. So I guess we're just going to dive right into it. So I, I've i seen this one before. I know I think we both talked about that we've both seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it a while ago. I was in college. Um, it was kind of I was getting more into films and whatnot. And I, this had been, this I think came out in 2004. Yep. So it had been around for a couple of years. And I finally was like, I got to watch it. Jim Carrey in a serious role. It never really sparked my attention. And then it is... A really uh it's quirky it's a little cheeky mm-hmm. um i think it's lovely you know very beautiful yeah. and uh the reason why i, th- I figure we both settle on it because it's hard to watch this film and absolutely hate it yes i think that there are aspects within the film that anyone that's ever been in a relationship can definitely relate to yeah and i'm i'm glad that you said that specific thing right there yeah that have been in a relationship because when i first watched the movie i was in high school Mm. and i hadn't been in a relationship yet at that point right so when i watched it in high school um which i'm kind of glad i did because now i have different perspectives of it um when i watched it in high school i thought the movie was good but i didn't really appreciate what the movie was at the time because i had never had that life experience before now that I've watched it again for the second time, I'm 26, going to be 27 in December. Um, shout out to age. There we go. Yeah. How about that? Where's the social number at? When are you dropping that one next? Um, <laughs> please. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm uh, getting older. Time passes by us all. Um, Deep. Yeah. Thinking of ending things. Uh, <laughs> um, but now that I've watched it and I've had that sort of not the same life experience, but something I would say that makes me appreciate the movie more. I can definitely find a better enjoyment from it. Yeah. And, uh, it, certain moments in that movie connect with you. you know, that scene where he's, he's in the beginning, like right after the breakup where he's like driving in the car, like bawling his eyes out. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it's, it's something that like hit me like a ton of bricks because you know, I've, I've been there before. hundred percent. I've, I've, uh, been in his same exact position before. Um, I guess not same exact, you know, there's no, sure. There's no I, shadow know. doctor that can erase your mind, but 
something super close to it. Well, dude, there's a lot of money out there, and there are things that we don't know about. That's true. Like, uh, you could be sleeping right now, and Mark Ruffalo might be ruffling your jimmies. Whoa. And you wouldn't even know it. <laughs> By the way, too, though, how about that place? Uh, corner. It looked like a chiropractor, chiropractor's office. Oh, yeah. You know, it. you're talking about, hey, we're just, we're going to erase your mind. We're doing this. It's you, not like this big old prestigious mansion that is, like, no. tucked away. or It's, like, literally on the street. Handing out business cards. Yeah. And not even, like, good ones. No, no. It's 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 kind of like, I wouldn't say back alley, but it's it almost seems like an amateur type thing. It was, I mean, there's a couple, I know a couple places where there's, like, outpatient stuff or mm-hmm. you know out you know services and this this just felt like a dentist's office with a local guy in a small town yeah that you know we get by because we crown a couple teeth every mm-hmm. month you know and it's just we live on we don't live on pennies but we're not like well off yeah so it's funny when he goes in there because it's like there's a couple seats you know they can probably fit like five people in the office and then you go through there it's narrow corridors they got three four employees with the doctor you know and and the Mm -hmm. guys obviously he knows what he's doing but you'd think erasing your memory it would kind of be like hey this is going to cost like maybe twenty five hundred dollars you know per hour or something like that insurance doesn't cover this yeah and he just he goes in there and it's just hey you know we'll we'll hook you up i love i thought that was that was really funny to me when when i rewatched that seeing that office thinking like this is kind of heavy what they're doing to people mm-hmm. and it's just hey up up the stairs it's sweet, yeah sweet it's, it's kind of like this quaint little little space that they have yeah um it almost yeah like you said it almost feels like you're going to the chiropractor i wouldn't even say dentist because i feel like a dentist is more of a uh i don't know a strict and firm uh, yeah. sort of routine chiropractor you just walk in and be like hey can i get this done yep yep <laughs> my back's feeling a little tight like yep we'll we'll get you taken care of right um but yeah that's uh that's funny that you mentioned that specific aspect to it because it's just something like it's just something entirely like meant to focus on the characters themselves you know they mm-hmm. kind of make the procedure itself sort of seem like this um normal everyday thing and even if characters haven't heard of this procedure in the movie before they kind of they really take it at face value and they tend to believe it almost straight away jim carrey finds out that it's a service that exists and you know it takes him a little bit to like kind of graduate in there but once he does he like fully embraces it and And you know i think and you're 100 percent right i mean that i did i like that i don't know if you appreciated that there wasn't really a whole plot set up they didn't have to kind of jimmy rig this device working it was just hey we erased memories Mm -hmm. okay did you do this to her yep i want it done too yeah they didn't they didn't give like a whole exposition dump about like the history of like them erasing people's minds and like where the doctor like discovered this ability to to do this procedure yeah it's just a very like quick and quick and done thing yeah. it focuses more on the story and the characters because of um the way that they introduce that sort of plot element i guess you could say for sure which uh makes the movie even better um yeah i mean and the story itself i i'm with you on that um mm-hmm. you know being in a uh serious relationship before where you know you kind of you get to that point that the mundane aspects of the relationship, I think there's one time they're eating at a restaurant and it's just, they're sharing a moment. They're in a restaurant, but obviously he feels a little guilty probably because they should be 
doing something special, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really just they're sh- they're they're just in this spot. Yeah, you know, so are we really turning into that couple at the restaurant? You know, the ones that you see and you just know that their relationships done it's over there's no spark anymore and there's certain aspects like that in the movie where it might have been jim carrey's first relationship too i don't know about you know if that's his first serious one in the film oh his character yeah i was you gonna know. say i don't think it's the actor's first. no but i mean in, in the film because mm-hmm. he, he he's a he's a very he's a quiet guy yeah you know well it's um i love the and i read about this after i watched it too so the director michael gondry he specifically told Jim Carrey and only Jim Carrey to not improvise in any of the scenes that he was in. And uh, oh. all the other actors, you know, he, he said sure. that they were fine to do so. But Jim Carrey, he was specifically restricted to the quiet, meek nature yeah. of his character and what the script wanted him to say. And Jim Carrey didn't really like that at all. But uh, Sure, it's Jim Carrey, dude. I get yeah. paid to make funny voices and impersonate people. <laughs> yeah, do funny faces all the time. And they had a scene in there where he does that, but you know they kind of had to let him, let oh, him yeah. get his high just a little bit. But uh, Are you talking about the one where he like opens his eyes and like looks around a little bit? Or are you talking no, about the one where he's a baby? No, no. Uh, the baby, that was kind of funny <laughs> uh, and startling. Uh, yeah, that, that, was, was, that was a weird part. They were at a movie theater, and they were, doing, uh, they were watching it from the other side of the fence. And uh, they were doing the lines of the actors. Oh, yeah. So he got to do it. And I don't know if he was improvising or if those lines were written. And he just got to do his Jim Carrey, like, I'm going to act like this gentleman. Yeah, give me yeah. a kiss, Dollar. You've got to give him one per movie, I feel That's like. That's what I'm saying. Like, they, they, got, they got an itch. Like, yeah. He's got an itch. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, Adam Sandler has to get hurt. And Jim Carrey has to do a funny voice. That's just the rule. <laughs> yep. It's, it's been written all over Hollywood. Uh-huh. It's not even a principle. It's a rule. Yeah. It's carved into the walk of fame it's very small though you have to really like look for it with a magnifying glass um um yeah no i so i was going on about the restaurant and i just think that that was a there are there's subtleties in the film and when you watch it um you realize that there are those moments you know the mundane moments that you Mm -hmm. have with your significant other and it's 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 just really honestly like understanding that you're sharing it Mm -hmm. rather than looking at them and blaming them for why you're here. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I it, the movie did a really good job between riddling those moments versus his awesome moments. Yeah. You know, the ones that really, and I think that's that was one of the things I really liked about the film was that you'd have it go through and, and show the bad stuff with what was going on, but then you'd have the good stuff. And then when he'd yeah. see the good stuff, you know, he'd be like, that's when he kind of got his, Oh man, like I don't know. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, anymore. that's that's kind of where like the conflict comes from. Yeah, is, is his because the whole movie is like 80 percent of it. I would say is basically like in his head. Uh, yeah, like what he's going through, um, which I which I really like. But they really do show like every aspect of that relationship. You know the the toxic the bad but fixable and then it kind of like goes into like the lukewarm like almost like awkward moments like the dinner scene yeah and then it like kind of like rises back into like when they're the most comfortable with each other you know when uh she's like with uh, the pillow yeah like yeah suffocating like air quotes suffocating him with the pillow (laughs) you know they're just being playful um and like i said it's really when that uh kind of kicks off the conflict of like his own mind of whether or not he like actually wants to go through with it so it's fascinating how they portrayed 
uh, him fighting against something that was, is in his head. So, I would that so, like translates into the real world. Yeah. Well, I think from how I was kind of taking it with Kaufman too is it is there are these. And he's a weird dude just from watching these three films. Like <laughs> he, he I don't he's gotta be like either like a genius or just really got high and read a lot of philosophy stuff that's like st- stood in his brain. Mm. Um but it really felt like he was kinda going through and saying, you know, all right, you have this relationship, you have this thing that happens. Because it, it doesn't have to be I mean it's, it, a pet could have died, right? It's obviously an emotional impact on your life. Mm. And is that pain worth suffering? You know, for the for the good, you know, for the high that you get from when you think about it. Right. Or do you is it a reactionary thing where you just can't stomach it, you know, and you have to be absolved of it because it'll make it that much easier because you can't go through the pain. Yeah. And the big thing that I really liked was the way that he was kind of going through with it and that you're learning with with Jim is that it's almost worth suffering the pain for those the good memories, you know, because if they're gone, they're gone. You yeah. know, so that was kind of I, I really liked how they were they they intertwined that, and you could kind of see as he was going along the decisions that he was making, thinking like, all right, maybe, you know. Well, I think too, um, and I just kind of realized this just now, but uh, a big theme of the movie is basically just learning from your experiences and like learning oh, yeah. from from the things that you've you've gone through in the past, um, which kind of comes back to the end of the movie where. Um, because if you, if you really do go through with it and you erase not only the bad parts of the relationship, but the good parts, you kind of lose those experiences that you've gained. You lose that sense of you changing as a person because of it. And in a sense, you basically just stay the same person that you were before. You don't really grow from what you went through. And so when they reach the end and they like quote unquote meet each other again. Yeah. Uh, and they like kind of like fall, like start falling back for each other in a way. Um, I think it was important and I think it was a, a really good thing that they did in the movie where they um, had Kirsten Dunst's character, like give away all like the information and the letters yeah. of like what people went through um, erasing those parts of their memory. And because the characters like find out all this stuff and because they're listening back to like the recordings of their own testimonies of like why they want to get rid of their memories, it forces them to like kind of learn something that they wouldn't have otherwise if they hadn't received those letters, if they hadn't received those recordings, because uh, now it gives them an opportunity to kind of learn from what they didn't know to kind of like grow from their actions that they took before that they, decided to just get rid of well and it's also the um the relationship aspect of being with someone mm-hmm. and not being able to uh communicate those emotions mm-hmm. so they got it out that's right and they get to they get to and it's part of growth though you mm-hmm. know it's it's something that should happen like in a relationship organically you should be able to do it they couldn't right then they get back together and then they you know at the very end when he was his tapes are going on and they're like they're kind of bad they're really brutal oh my god like (laughs) i mean it has to come out it'll help you as long as you guys both love each other you know but like listening to it i was like damn Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) almost like a weird forced upon therapy session for the both of them and they and they both like hey like why don't we just pause it but it was it was good for both of them Mm because he got it out he didn't have to harbor on it and she got to hear it in a, a uh 
like a safe environment. It wasn't him drunk talking to his friends. It wasn't him on the phone talking to his mom. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't him. You know, just going like writing. Even maybe in a journal, it would have been safe enough. But like, it was one of those things where this is his honest thoughts, opinions. He's in a in a safe place talking about it. So I I really liked. I thought it was. I dude, it was just really. It was n- tightly wrapped. Yes, it was tightly wrapped. It was. It's a. I want to I want to ask you because yeah. I had this thought like right when it ended. Right. Um do you think the ending is optimistic or do you think that they're doomed from the start? Uh no, I actually think it's optimistic. I think I think I'm in the same boat, which is why I'm glad that they have those recordings and they have those messages yeah. to turn to because if they didn't then they would probably be doomed from it would the start be that again. Endless cycle. Yeah. But they actually have that the growth factor and I don't know. It was kinda cool too. I mean being it made me curious though, because he's she's in his head and he's trying to, you know, save it and turn it around or do whatever he can to get her back in mm-hmm. his head. So I was like, how is this gonna translate to the real world? Yeah, you know, and they and they do it, but it was just kind of funny that he's like he's trying to save these memories, mm-hmm. which was another fun part of it. With uh, it was a, it was a cool twist, a yeah. little bit, you know, with with some of the decisions he's making. Then all of a sudden he he realizes what's going on, and right, it's uh yeah, it's interesting how like a lot of the character interactions that you see with him are in his head, but yeah. they're still kind of like reflective of the people that he knows in. The real world, obviously, you know, yeah. they have to be based on something. But, um, you know, there there are times when, like, the other characters in his head, you know, they fight against him. They say that, oh, this is, like, how it's supposed to be. Maybe this is, like, what it's, it's meant to be. And it kind of, like, gives you the sense that, oh, okay, they're their own person still. But you have to remember that they're all in his head like, yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, which I think is, a, is an interesting concept to uh, mull over. Um, thank you, Charlie Kaufman. Bless you. <laughs> I figured you'd have to have a feel. See, I'm not like a, I'm not a big time writer. You know, mm. I didn't, I, I got very. Dude, I hope I can be half the writer that Charlie Kaufman is one day. One day. Well, he had to, he's got to be like, he had to have written that when he was like in his forties or something. He's, uh, he's older. I would say. I thought I saw on wiki. He was like sixties pushing up on sixties. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, this is a this is a hell of a time to look. Sick. Yeah. I'll, oh, I'll look so we don't have to do another read in F seven about how yeah, we yeah. completely we, we don't have to make a correction about how we're fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> about people's age. You do all this all these goddamn movies and you don't know this guy's age. <laughs> yeah. You hey, don't know where this guy grew up when he was seventeen. I was to say audience member, maybe you do it and you get back with us on it. He is sixty two. Nailed it. So if you were on the prices right, you would be going to the showcase showdown. Believe that. Um, uh, yeah. So um, he he did a fantastic job writing it, and you, sir, still have forty years to get to his first one. Only forty, huh? Oh boy. Yeah. Well, if you really try, you might make it to thirty. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> if I try hard enough and I drink all my milk. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, but yeah, no, this movie was um. It was really enjoyable. I uh, I am glad that we revisited it. Um, I forgot not only a lot of like the aspects of the movie plot wise, but I forgot a lot of the people in them. Like, I, oh really? Yeah, I forgot that Kirsten Dunst is in it, Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood. Um, I I really like 
I really like the fact that Elijah Wood was basically a simp the entire movie. Oh my god, <laughs> so, his character is so gross. He was, but he was really good at playing him. You know. He's oh a, yeah, now he a did a fantastic job being creepy and weird. Not even just creepy and weird, just kind of a a, a desperate loser. I would oh, say a hundred percent because like he, he stooped pretty low to, to get where he was in that movie. You know, he got into the relationship with cheating uh, Clementine. Um, I, we don't have to tell him how, but he he cheated to get into it. Yeah. And not like the normal, like relationship type cheating. He like basically like cheated the system. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. Like if now granted, if someone came up and handed me like all of Hal Berry stuff and was like, here's the key. I probably would take the the binder. Okay, you know what I'm saying. But like, uh, it sounds awful now. But it's Clementine one, and when you see the film, it's kind of like really like that's that's the best that he could do. Uh, by uh, okay, my point being is that like that's that what you're saying is um he okay. that he has to resort to that to um yes to get the girl that he's attracted to. He well, I'm saying. You have, like, if you had the million-dollar ticket, and it was like, if you just open this envelope, you're going to get it, right? He picked, like, the $500 ticket. I was yeah. like, that's a little, I don't want to get caught with that one. Like, let me go down about eight paces down. This one looks safe. Mm. And that's how, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it was really scummy. It just felt like oh, the yeah, whole time, sure. like, he was talking about it, I was like, oh, my God. Well, he leads off with a horrible thing that to do, which, I don't know, maybe guys do it. I don't know. And then uh, it's like, oh, my God, you did that? You did that? And then he goes, oh, yeah, but and. And then it gets worse. Yeah, yeah. He's telling the story to Mark Ruffalo oh about how he, like, manipulated his way into the relationship. So. And then Mark Ruffalo's like, dude, that's effed up. And yeah. Anyway. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, they're a bunch of stoners in that movie. Well, he does. And Mark Ruffalo doesn't care, dude. He's about to get laid, and he's just like, get this guy out of here. Awesome. I don't even remember what Elijah's name in it was. Oh, um, what was his name? I think it was Dan or Dan, something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool Dan. Something, uh, yeah, something mid-ground like that. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Dan. I It could totally not be Dan. I could be hey, absolutely listen, wrong. Hey, listen, guys, we're not going to, we're not starting out F7 correcting, <laughs> all right, if Elijah Wood's minor role in this film was Dan or not. <laughs> all right, text us, hit us up on Twitter or yeah, Facebook, yeah. call us out there. Send us a message on the Facebook page. Yeah. You'll be messaging me directly, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to send you Alvin and the Chipmunks memes. Dang. Mm-hmm. Or Elijah Wood in different roles. Yeah. With a sword. Elijah Wood as Simon from Alvin and the Chipmunks movies. <laughs> Which that's a whole, that's a whole another, that's a, that's an entire episode. Man, that ep nine coming at you. <laughs> so oh boy, we're spoiling our audience. Alvin and the Chipmunks right away, huh? Maybe our Christmas special. Yeah. Hey, that's not a bad idea, Mac. Uh, oh boy, don't get me started. Oh boy, oh boy, don't get me started. Cookies, um, milk, and triple A. Yeah. Well, actually, no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what their name. We well, don't have to get into Alvin yet. I thought it was um I thought it was interesting that they showed like kind of snippets of like different aspects of like how the memory erasing technology would like work in various different scenarios like um Kirsten Dunst and her relationship with the boss how yeah. uh they were basically in an affair I think and then he convinced her to erase her memory so that she wouldn't remember that they were in an affair basically like 
doing away with the whole thing. Not. But then, like, she still gets feelings for him anyway. And then, it, it, like, kisses him towards well, the end of the movie. They uh they do, uh, if there's a scene when he's sitting in there, she's talking to someone and says, this is your third one this month. You can't do three in a month. You know, so it really makes you wonder, too, how effective is the uh, memory erasing versus what are we maybe not biologically prone to do. Mm-hmm. But it kind of, I mean, it, it does pose a question with the, you know, well, you, you, yeah. you meet someone, you have your memory erased, you don't remember that person at all, yet you run into them. Is it going to be the same thing? I mean, is it kind of fate interwoven that you guys were supposed to be together? Right. Or is it just this kind of chemical imbalance that you see that person and you just go, oh my God, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was funny that they, they bring that up towards the end mm-hmm. and she does the same thing. And it really makes you think, all right, I mean, is it that effective? What does it say about us as people? You know, I mean, are our emotions like controllable or is it was a, is it fate and, you know, divine power that this is supposed to be? Right. You know? So there was a couple heady, heady things. Yeah. That like, he didn't really, I don't think touched on, but I think threw in there as nuggets mm-hmm. just from kind of watching this stuff. I mean, the dude's smart. So I think he kind of had that intention of writing it in there. Now, granted, it might not be from my perspective uh, I saw I don't know if that's how you took it in but mm-hmm. no I could definitely see that now that you bring it up because it makes you it makes you ask the question how much of this is because the technology is not a hundred percent foolproof yeah and how much of it has to do with the fact that no matter what we do no matter the things that we go through to like get rid of you know our past mistakes air quotes um, and experiences how much of that will we be like kind of redirected into yeah. from like like you said some sort of divine intervention or fate or some other kind of abstract concept yeah um he does he poses those things like throughout all three of these films that yeah. we're going to talk about i mean it was like, <laughs> and i'm thinking of anything so it was the biggest like he just did not stop in that one but um <laughs> in this one i thought there were a lot of subtle subtle takes on that i know he's a very philosophical dude and there's you know there's a lot in, in dealing with the mind and imprinting or the metaphysics agent, the identity, you know, you're so he, he brings it up and that's why I really like this one. And I thought this is the safest one out of all of them just because it yes. touches on the, obviously you've been, it didn't like, like you said, it doesn't even have to be with a gal. I mean, it could be a pet. Like you could be, that could be going through with, the, with your dog, you know, and having to go through and like, do I really want to erase? You know, I got mm-hmm. Charlie. I had Charlie for 14 years. So I want him out of my head. Like if I was that sad every time I thought about him, but then he missed out on the good stuff. And, you know, Charlie's gone now though. So I can't run into him unless I like stumbled over his grave. and oh, I just stared no. at him, you know, Charlie Kaufman. No, 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 <laughs> no. I'm not going to even, we're not joking about murder or plot. <laughs> to kidnap and kill people or to help write uh episode seven of the neon crew podcast i'm sorry that uh he sounded like a good dog yeah no 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 i'm just saying it's one of those things like it kind of it, it makes you wonder is it just people related is it you know how far does it go i thought but i like i'm saying i think this is the safest one out of all three because mm-hmm. it's something that we've all gone through probably questions that have been posed and he doesn't hammer you over the head with his own um theories or philosophical, you know, ideologies or beliefs, however you want to look at it, you know, where he's kind of posing these questions. Mm-hmm. He doesn't leave them really uh, um, open-ended. Right. He does a couple of things, but not not 
too drastic. Yeah, he gives you he gives you concepts to think about, but the story itself is wrapped up pretty nicely. Yeah, 140 minutes, nice, clean, crisp. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what did you think of the technical aspects of the movie? I thought I thought it was a uh, really well shot. You oh, know, pretty dude. pretty unique cinematography. Fantastic, um, flipping between the the POV, the lighting. Um, mm-hmm. it's weird how like the lighting too specifically. A lot of the shots in his head, specifically at the doctor's office, when yeah. he goes back and like sees the faceless people, it's shot like a horror movie. It's really creepy in the way that they present that that piece of his imagination. A little bit, and I was wondering at, like why they were doing. Like, is it a deep recess? Is it because that memory's being erased and he's still gaining access to it? Because I think the first time he gets it. Um, it's not as bad. Yeah, they I, still have the faces. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you get into it where it's like no faces and he's got the flashlight going everywhere and trying to pick up, you know, like he can't see anything. Yeah. So I was wondering if I had something to say about where he was at with the memory in his mind and how he was losing grasp on that one and that might have been like the last time he gets to it, you know, because it's, mm-hmm. it's just dimly lit. Like he is like searching. Yeah, and I don't even know if he's holding the flashlight. Someone else? No, it's like it's like from the camera. Like it's it's almost like it's almost like handheld POV shot, but it's yeah. not from his POV because you still see him in that's the a, shot. That's a crazy thing. I didn't even think about that. I'm like, who's holding the flashlight now? Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. and what's a flashlight? Anyways, I think it's just it just shows you like how uncanny the situation is, and like how how sort of warped his his mind in that specific uh, spot in his in his head. Yeah. is becoming yeah um but yeah i really i really enjoyed the different styles they did because like they go from that to almost like uh, uh like cheeky comedy when he becomes like the baby yep. or like he accesses a memory of his when he was four so he's like really small and then kate winslet is with him like throughout the whole thing so she's like giant compared to him and she's yeah. like the babysitter so she's in like an old 50s outfit like smoking a cigarette inside and uh yeah i thought that was I thought the different, like, sort of, like, almost genre blending in a way. Kinda. Which we will talk about because he I, this came out after Adaptation, so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I really liked those aspects of it. I thought everything technically was really good. I did, too. I mean, I thought the writing was superb and the director did a good job mixing it in uh, here and there, you mm-hmm. know, and, and just in the different moods. And it's awesome, too, because the moods that were being uh, set – with the lighting and the cinematography were reflective of, you know, how he was feeling. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about eternal sunshine, uh, at all? Anything you wanted to touch on that we didn't get a chance to? No, that was, I mean, that was, that was it. I mean, honestly, just from watching it today, I mean, I'm like, this is a clean 90 minute film. It really, it does make you ponder and think it's not too, uh, heavy in the subject matter, mm-hmm. but it does, it will, I mean, if you watch and you've had a serious relationship and uh, you watch it, it'll make you think just a little bit about it, which I think it's good for growth, you know? Yeah. It's a movie you can appreciate um, differently throughout oh, yeah. your life, I think, the different experiences you gain. Yeah, 100%. So, and how'd you feel? You liked it? You got anything that you wanted to? Um. I guess I will just say if I had to rate it, I would probably give it a 9 out of 10. Dude, you beat me to the punch. I was going to go, what's the rating on it? So we're not doing 20 stars. We're back down to 10 stars. Yeah, yeah, no. We're not doing doing a scale of negative 10 to 10, you know. (laughs) Have you heard about that? No. Sometimes, 
I guess I don't know who specifically, <laughs> but someone has like a, a rating scale of like negative ten to zero back up to ten. Mm. And the zero to ten is supposed to pertain to like normal like it's a normal rating, like sure. for movies in general. But the zero to negative ten is how much you like a film based on how bad it is. So oh. a movie like let's say Venom, right? Right. I saw Venom two recently. Okay. Venom, Venom, spoil. Gotta go get them. Um, I'm not gonna spoil Venom two for goodness sake. But if I had to like rate it as a normal rating, I'd probably give it like a four out of ten, right? But if I had to rate it based on how like stupid and like semi enjoyable it was, I'd probably give it like a negative two. Or so, whereas like a movie like The Room, wait, I would probably on. give like a negative eight or well, something. Well, that's what I was about to say. So. That's interesting. Actually, I have a different it's, way of thinking it's like about a, that. It's a weird rating system. I just want to touch room, on real quick. I would give a negative one, but if I had fun with a bad movie, I'd give it a negative nine. Like, and I think that's like kind of the point of that specific rating system. Yeah. Um, which again, I don't oh, know. So you had more fun with the room than you did with Venom. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Probably. Yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're on the same page. Yeah. Dang, Venom two. <laughs> R.I.P. Bro. Gotta go get him. At the box office. Um, WWTHD can't pull his weight. I watched Venom 1. I mean, that one was like to me like a negative 4, negative 5. <laughs> Bad but fun. Like, it's like you it's, take it yeah. for face value. They're not trying to they're it's, not doing much. but It's pretty stupid, All the right. second one. We don't need to get in. All right, so you got a yeah, 9 yeah, out yeah. of 10 with it. All right. I think I also... Pretty sure 9 out of 10. Nice. That one's pretty damn close to a 10 out of 10. Yeah, there's really not much. There's really not too much I had gripes with it. I guess if I did have a uh, a complaint, I guess like character moments specifically, like uh, when Mark Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst are like partying in the apartment together. It's like some of those scenes felt a little too, I guess, like ham-fisted and like, oh look at these guys, they're really stoned. They're they're hungry and they want munchies and. And they're talking about deep philosophical things while they're stoned. Wow, look at these stoners! It's I don't know. It was just a little, little yeah. bit. Uh, I thought it stereotypical. Was, I guess I thought it was so funny, like uh, comparing contrast for me or uh, a contrast. So you got you got this machine hooked up to this guy's brain when, like, theoretically, because obviously it doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. if you mess up, maybe you could mess up more of the brain mm. outside of perhaps the memories that you're just erasing there. So I thought it's funny that these guys are so intimate with Jim Carrey during this moment, erasing memories and uh, they're getting drunk high and he's trying to fuck like, you know, in the Mm. kitchen while Jim Carrey's just hooked up to this thing, getting memories erased. Yeah. Like it was kind of like a funny, like contrast for me. Yeah. It's a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Yes. That's man. Good with the words. I'm pulling out the words, the words today. I think actually, actually, my my beef would have been them, them dancing on the bed over Jim Carrey. That's the one I didn't get. It's like a really yeah. weird like. That, that was, why is this happening? Yeah, if you're gonna dance, like why on the bed, over the patient? Yeah, uh, where you have a chance to like have him fall off or like knock the helmet off yeah. his head, and he wakes up and he finds two half naked people standing over him. That's the one. That's so I'm kind of with you. I know, like I like, I like the relationship between the workers, but once they got into party mode, I was like, 
Take it out to the living room. Like, why? <laughs> I don't understand why you have to be. And they didn't like incorporate him. They weren't making fun of him while doing it. Like, look at this guy. We're creating memories while he's erasing memories. You know, it's just like <laughs> dancing on the bed, having fun. Yeah. So little little silly, little silly moments like yeah. that. So I, I I so I'll go with you. I got nine out of ten. I think it's awesome. If you guys haven't seen it, and we just you know talked about this whole film, check it out and actually see it for yourself. Yeah. Um. I guess. Uh, now is as good a time as any to go into adaptation. Believe it. Um, directed by Spike Jones. Yes. Written by Charlie Kaufman, of course. Oh, of course. Um, oh, written by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, which is something that we can get into. Donald Kaufman is credited on the actual movie for this film. So, can I'll I'll. You can you can do the uh, the plot summary if okay. uh, you would like. I'll do the plot summary and drop my little tidbit of information. I think I said I mentioned it on the last app, but I'm not sure. Okay. And it really reeks in this one <laughs> to the point I was like, I wonder. So we'll talk about it. Anyways, um, this is a story about uh, Charlie Kaufman. Yep. It's Charlie Kaufman in the film, and uh, it opens up with him uh, working on John Malkovich. And he uh, meets with another executive producer and they say, hey, we have this book we want you to write. It's uh, the tale of the orchid or the the ghost orchid. Yes. Something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. It's written. I'll by, look up the actual title. Yeah. And you have to see, I think her name was, was it Catherine Spleen or something like that? Something. Susan Orlean. Susan Orlean. Catherine Spleen. Close. Uh, and. Um, the Orchid Thief is the title Orchid of the book. Orchid Thief. And I, I, I think it might actually be a real book. That's what it I, is. Yeah, that's what, what I meant to look up. Mm. And uh, so anyways, it's about Charlie Kaufman and executive producer. We're taking it on. You're going to write the script. And essentially, the whole movie is watching Charlie uh, fumble through life trying to write the script. Yep. And go through all the uh, uh, problems with writer's block, um, you know, self-confidence, dealing with uh, I mean, things just happening in his life. And also his twin brother. Yep. Uh, his twin the, brother, Donald, also played by Nicolas Cage. Yes, coming through and having success with screenwriting after going to a three-day seminar. Yep. And Mr. Uh, McKee. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite the uh, the meta movie, I would say. It's got... Lots of layers to it, not so, just within the movie, but within the production of the movie. Oh, so real quick, I mean, just having that in mind, I don't know. I think I mentioned it, but this really happened to Charlie Kaufman. He got writer's block. Well, a lot of it really did happen, right? No, no, I'm talking like in real life. Like this script was written on this experience. Right. Yeah. But he doesn't. Okay. No, 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 no. Not the, <laughs> not the, no, because, and we'll talk There's about that. There's some fantastical elements. Yeah, to but he, and. We got to talk about it because I watched this yeah. and I'm dying laughing because <laughs> in the very beginning, he lays out where the movie's going to go. Mm. And there's points throughout the movie that talk about, you know, for the movie itself, it gives it away, but maybe not for him writing this thing. Right. But yeah. But this was a real life experience for him and he had writer's block and he ended up writing this movie about himself. Yeah. He, he inserted himself into the script, which is kind of like the conflict <laughs> of the plot in this movie itself, is he writes himself into the script of the screenplay that he's trying to adapt for this book that somebody else authored about somebody else's life. 
Oh my God. So there I is, didn't even think about that one either. There That's, is so many layers. So she's trying to tell his story about how he's an orchid thief, about how he like goes out into the woods or like LaRoche, the swamp. Mr. LaRoche. Yep, played by Chris Cooper. Yes. Who uh, goes Love out you, goes out into nature and like steals these like endangered orchids and not different illegally plants. though. Um air quotes, not illegally. That's where the that's where the yeah, there's, story there's a comes little in. conflict, yeah. But then she gets in her head, this would make a really great story. So then she goes and sees what he's all about. She starts writing a story about him, makes it into a book. And so then they want to make that into a movie. So they get Charlie Kaufman to write it. And then, you know, he starts to write it just purely about the flower. Right. Uh, almost like, cause he says throughout the movie that he wants to, nobody's written a, a movie about flowers before, you know, he, he wants to flowers for Algernon. Mm hmm. He wants to like kind of set that standard, you know. He wants to to get that ball rolling, and so then he he struggles with writer's block on that. So then like he starts to like write about her writing about the movie, and then he struggles with that too because he he is afraid to meet her. He's just afraid to meet people in general because he's, he's, he's yeah. kind of an anxious dude, yeah. socially awkward. Um, Definitely, yeah. Like no self confidence, just does not trust himself in front of which. And I'm not going to, we're going to hop back in here. I'm just curious. I want to ask you about, do you think the real Charlie Kaufman's like that Charlie Kaufman? Oh, uh, I think there are elements um, that he's he's put in the movie that reflect his real life personality. I think for this movie specifically, it's kind of um, eccentric, accentuated. Sure. I guess accentuated um, for the purposes of the story. Right. So really, they yeah, hammer he, home certain flaw, like how feelings but yeah he probably has those traits and yeah. he probably like uh relates to a lot of what he made himself into a character for but in real life he's probably not as anxious he's probably not as severely right socially right, awkward right. as he portrays I mean, he himself made the character to be. so it's, it's a character yeah it's a character it's a little bit of a of an extreme exaggeration i would say yeah um you know i'm saying this all not knowing the guy at all but well you're you know you kind of have to do that you write about characters i mean mm -hmm. you might know people that you go I, that guy could be a character like mm -hmm. i could make if i took out these three traits and really drove that and made his kind of decisions around these three traits and left the rest of it out yeah you know so any you're um he's writing it on uh on on Susan Orlean. Yep, he went um, to that point, but he can't talk to her. He so. can't talk to her, so then he decides, I'm just going to write about myself trying to write this movie. So then he inserts himself into the script, and then at that point, he kind of like starts to get a little thing going. Which, um, that is like a no-no, right? Like, <laughs> Well, it's funny because I think in real life, when, uh, when they showed the script to Susan Orlean, in in the real world yeah she was like almost mortified at like what she was reading because she was like how could you like write this about like me and like insert yourself in this and blah 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 and then you know over time you know as the movie released and became successful right. and stuff like that because they needed her permission to like green light the project yeah 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 um as time went on she's like grown to like really appreciate the movie and like what it stands for and like the overall message of it um, which is, I think, like kind of the, you know, it's what Charlie Kaufman wanted to get across. Sure. Um, but it's just funny that uh, that there was con some contention in the real world uh, compared to the amount of contention that we see in this movie. Yeah. 
Um, so, uh, I think it's important to note that in the movie throughout the, the entire thing. Um, so in the film, Charlie Kaufman, the character has a twin brother named Donald Kaufman and Donald Kaufman is credited on the screenplay for this movie, but he's not a real person. That's the one I was, that's what I wanted to ask. I felt go on. So, yeah. <laughs> Cause so. there's a couple, there was a couple of things that I picked up on and this time watching it that I didn't see the first time watching this film. And I laughed my balls off with like <laughs> how much he toys with the audience. Uh huh. Cause like when you're watching the movie and you see his brother for the first time, you you see him just in the house. Like the only scenes that you see him in for a while are just the two of them. So yeah. you have to start wondering like, okay, is this guy like real in the movie or is it like the character's imagination? Is it Charlie Kaufman as a character? Like, is that a figment of his imagination? And then like pretty much halfway through the movie, you like see him out in the real world, but then you're still kind of wondering like, okay, he just kind of like appears next to Charlie in a way. Like yeah. they show the yeah. shot and he's just there. So he's like, he's definitely got to be an imaginary part of his mind, right? He's definitely got to be a figment. And then the movie goes on and you see Donald interacting with other people <laughs> that Charlie Kaufman has interacted with throughout the movie. And then those people turn to Charlie and say, Oh, your brother's so funny. He's such a good writer. And, uh, it's just funny how like they kind of like take that concept and they flip it on its head for a movie that came out in 2002 because at that point you would almost expect the character to be imaginary. Oh yeah. Um, especially when you learn that there is no actual Donald Kaufman, but the fact that he's real in the movie kind of like adds to the, to the ridiculousness of it and sort of reminds you of the fact that, Hey, this is uh, very hyperbolic, very like exaggerated based on real, uh, things that have happened. Yeah. And uh, f- certain parts of the movie you should not take as, as fact. And I thought... Oh, yeah. Well, I don't... I thought he kind of, like, represented that as a character. Just, like, the fact that he existed in the movie. I mean, he didn't say... He, he didn't come out and say it was a biopic. I mean, it's still yeah. technically written about the Orchid Thief. Right. So, I mean... Yeah. He... Um, so, a couple funny things. One was uh, the intro... To the movie. Mm-hmm. Can you remind me? It's I think I watched it like a week ago. Earth comes through. Flowers start growing. Oh, volcanoes yeah. coming down. This is an intro to adaptation, too. Like, I'm watching this. I just remember being like, what, what the hell is this? Because <laughs> I saw a baby being born at one point. Yeah. Life. Mm-hmm. Hither on two. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I remember that now. How and could I forget? He goes, it's just, it happens. And then <laughs> one of the times he's talking into it exact same he reads that into the tape recorder yep and then <laughs> the best part of all that so he gets done right mm-hmm. he's listening back so he had this huge epiphany okay he's going on and on he's like doing the crazy talk pointing yes 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 and it literally goes smash cuts to him in this dark room listening to it like i am a fucking madman <laughs> <laughs> like, he, like he was just like this is the ramblings of a lunatic. Yeah, just yeah. listening to it. He gets his recorder going and he just starts rambling off all these different things. Primates, apes, gorillas. We'll cut after whatever came after that before man. And then man. And he's just like, you sitting there with him listening to it. And he's like, I can't do this. Like, what like, the fuck is wrong with me? Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> so that was a really funny part. Because like they, in, oh, well, there was a similar thing too with, um, with the, uh, with the, 
public speaker with the uh McKee. Yeah, with McKee. Yeah. So um the so in the movie his brother Donald like goes to this this guy, this like professional like screenwriter three who's day like seminar. yeah it's like a three-day seminar type thing and then he comes back he starts writing this script and he like tells charlie about it throughout the whole movie and based on what he's describing it sounds <laughs> like a almost typical like kind of like blockbuster like horror type thing that popcorn. would like i just call him like a popcorn, popcorn flick. Flick. Like, you know you're gonna be able to make it it'll generate an audience it's not yeah. gonna be high stars but yeah something that's gonna be popular with the masses but not necessarily like sit well with the critics you know it's not artsy it's, it's not just, artsy. it's a, it's a, a money it's, grab yeah it's guaranteed to like make money so he starts writing a script like that and he like makes progress on it throughout the movie where Charlie oh Kaufman God. is like constantly having writer's block and constantly and struggling. It is like the most ludicrous script. Yeah. That like really it's kind of like one of those when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Like you'd come up with them right, but like at one point just goes so the it's three people, but they're all the same. Yeah. He goes, Yeah, and he's like, Well, how is he gonna have one tied up in a basement and the other one working at the police station? <laughs> and then like they both stare at each other and he goes, Hey, yeah, it sounds great, Donald. You know, like there <laughs> yeah, was yeah. no answer to it. Just it, so he that's like, what he's dealing. He with. doesn't doubt it for any further. He just kind of like lets him do his thing. Well, I mean, and you, he knows how ludicrous it, it. I mean, he's hearing it. I mean, think about it, dude. He's right. The Orchid Thief, New York Times bestseller. I just wrote John Malkovich. His brother comes home and is writing this easy screenplay, probably. Mm-hmm. And poor Charlie can't get the Orchid, th- and he has all the content there to write it. Right. You know, he just so. doesn't know how to like piece it together. Yeah. So then, um, you know, after he he struggles so much to to get the script together, and you know they're breathing down his neck, they want the script at a certain time, and he's running behind. So he goes into panic mode, and then he finally like resorts, like halfway through the movie, he resorts to actually going to this guy's seminar. Yeah. And to see like one of his presentations that he's given, and the guy that's speaking, McKee, is very like blunt and like rude and crass and like very like i i don't want to say like just uh like blunt i guess would be a good word like he's very blunt about the things that he's telling people to do in the scripts that they write he's he's an artist and he sees the world at face value so every every answer that he has is his answer and i think the passion comes through because there's a lot of uh themes in this about being passionate about something Mm -hmm. so we actually got to as a writer, see another writer who's very passionate about what he does. Yeah. So I think like that kind of comes off as being, um, um, Kurt. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, but he absolutely was cause he, he nailed him to the coffin. Um, but it, I find it funny cause so like the seminar happens, right. And mm-hmm. then at the end of it, Charlie Kaufman catches up to him and he's like, I really need your help. And then they go and like get drinks and stuff. And the guy's given Charlie Kaufman advice about yeah. how to like put the script together. And he says, I remember these two specific things that he tells him. It's like, it doesn't matter if your movie starts out shit, as long as it ends in a really epic way, you know, like uh, the, the third act, the ending of the movie has to kill it. Yeah. The ending of the movie has to kill it. So uh shootout guaranteed to be a success, right? <laughs> or like something like that. Oh, he was going, he was, or kinda, was it, was he saying like to not have a shootout? No, he was just going out. He just, he just grabbed him by the arm. He put his hand and he goes, you just got to end it. He goes, yeah. however you do it. No one gives a shit about the first two acts. Yeah. As long as you end it, mm-hmm. that's all the audience will remember. That's like, was his biggest thing. It was like, you just got to end it properly. 
And if you end it well, it'll be well received. If, yeah. You know, and if you don't, it's a you know, flaming pile of shit. But there was something else, too, that really stuck with me when uh, when he said it to him. Because he said, uh, and please, for whatever you do, don't do not do an ex machina. Yes. And then come the end of the movie, the main bad guy gets eaten by an alligator just out of nowhere and just fucking Dude, dies. <laughs> there's so many of those. So he goes into this thing. Okay. Uh-huh. Now. And there's also a shootout, too. Oh, he goes into this thing. And when he met with Tilda Swinton, the executive, mm. he goes, I want this to be uh, like original organic i want this to be you know full of life and this and that he goes i don't i don't want this to be some hollywood bullshit where there's you know a shootout or or, or drugs are involved or you know yeah the the, you know someone's cheating on someone or having an affair like i don't want to deal with those types of themes or you know opinions Mm -hmm. and then sure as shit yeah the end of the movie she's (laughs) fucking the dude doing coke with a gun in her hand yeah yeah (laughs) so i mean there was so many of those like so many of those moments where he's He's in it saying you can't do this or do that or I shouldn't do this or do that. And then it pops through and he does it. Or the other funny part that I really I laughed at was like you'd mentioned with Donald. He's writing schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. And he go and, you know, Charlie says something like that's just, that's sloppy writing. That's the easy way out. Schizophrenia it's a way to, you know, and sure as shit. <laughs> he's got like a fucking made up brother in the film. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he the whole time he writes this. He's toying with the audience members, and he's actually going through what you're told not to do uh-huh. versus like what he does. Yeah, and he, he and it's so it's ingenious that he can take that and insert it into the film and make it work. Right, you know, and and, and oh, mm. genre blending, genre mixing. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're talking about it, and uh, his brother Donald goes. Uh, it's, it's towards the you know end of the film, and he looks at his uh, Charlie says oh charlie by the way i'm gonna have a song in my film i'm gonna have a song in my film and he goes why what are you doing he goes well it's gonna it's it's to kind of you know it's to to show the contrast between the killer and and bring some levity to the situation where there's some dark moments right Mm -hmm. you know and it's happy together imagine me and you right Mm -hmm. so and then they they sing that song well and charlie goes donald you can't blend genres in these films <laughs> and then of course so not only that but the e- end of the movie right and then eternal comes out and you were talking about it mm. blending genres so he obviously can see as a writer that he's got a little bit of the style to him yeah and he doesn't follow i think they talked about oh rules you know rules rules are set in stone and you can't you know you have to follow or don't follow principles writing yeah. principles mm-hmm you know, are what's worked throughout generations and are perceived as like correct, but it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. It's just a guideline. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I thought that was uh the, this whole movie is just like a, a meta sort of like layered kind of, a kind of piece. Um, Oh God. Yeah. And, and what's, uh, what's really interesting too, is that the, I think the title has, um, I think it was like, three different meanings basically so there's adaptation which is you know the obvious meaning is Mm -hmm. adapting the book to script for a movie right like adapting a different story into another medium and then adaptation of the flower itself where the flower has to like kind of adapt to like a different environment and they go into like all these different like sort of like plant yeah um 
ecology it's, type things. Yeah. Um, plant science, whatever that's called. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a horticulturist horticulture. Oh yeah. There you go. You got me there. Is that it? I, I'm going to say it is, um, fuck yeah. Yeah. Congrats, Mac. There it is. Um, and then the third meaning adaptation, how different people adapt to, uh, situations that they're in. So, uh, you know, Chris Cooper's character had to adapt to the fact that his wife passed away and, how his whole nursery was basically destroyed uh, in a storm, like right after. So yeah. he had to adapt to a whole different life and a whole different way of thinking, basically, to survive. And then Susan Orlean has to try to adapt um, to uh, the fact that she has like mixed feelings about her husband and that she uh, is like really intrigued by this guy. But how much of that is like her just being lonely and how much of that is her like actually being attracted to this man right and then charlie kaufman uh how is he how does he adapt to like different situations that he's in how does he like try to adapt to like the social interactions that he encounters because a lot of this movie is is charlie kaufman's character being um just just trying to like overcome himself and overcome the different sort of obstacles that he mentally puts in his path i think they even they talk about yeah 100%. 100%. They talk about that in the film, too. They said that would be a boring film if you wrote about a guy that can't write a film. Yeah, and I think it's it's um, it's um interesting that they chose uh to have his brother Donald be a twin and to just look exactly like him because, you know, throughout the movie, he's worried about his appearance. He's worried about, like, sweating too much and the fact that he's balding and the fact that, like, he just kind of, like, overweight and he looks like a mess. His brother Donald looks exactly like him. And... He's got confidence. He's got the ability to talk to people, and that sort of like makes people gravitate towards him. Yeah. So it kind of sends that message throughout the movie that it doesn't matter what you look like; it matters what your your personality and your demeanor is towards people and towards yourself. He yeah agreed. I think he touches on that in the first eight lines of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he goes over. He kind of goes over. Uh, I'm fat. I'm bald. Yeah, he has I'm this pathetic. like sort of inner monologue with himself. He's going on and then he says, well, listen, I mean, it's all about it, confidence. You know, women don't care about what you look like. He goes, but that's not true either, is it? I forget at one point he said men have it just as hard as women do in terms of being objectified. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously kind of his uh, excuses that he makes for himself yeah. to be in the in the situation that because he even says you know like i should run he's no. v- he's very like he's very hard on himself he's 100%. very like doubtful and i think it kind of like contributes to that writer's block that he experiences because he yeah. has doubts not only about his ability to talk to women and to connect with people in general but also with him as a, as a screenwriter with him as like a a, a writer in general because all of a sudden, like, his brother is, like, starting to get noticed. His brother is, like, getting all these, like, different compliments about his script and uh, things like that. Um, and he starts to, like, kind of, like, that's when he really, like, starts getting blocked in terms of, like, trying to, like, complete his, his screenplay. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, you know, it just kind of, like, adds to the different, like, yeah, it, he was a good character, I feel like. Charlie? Char- Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And Nicolas Cage, I think, played him and Donald pretty well. I mean, 100%. Um, I think it, Probably one of his best uh, performances, I would say. Nicolas Cage, he, uh, I don't think he's a bad actor. 
at all. No, no, I don't, I don't he's think, really like, not. Like performance-wise, throughout the movies that he's in, I don't think he's he's had a bad one. I mean, maybe next, but I just hated next so much. No, he's got bad. He's he he does but, the money grab thing where he says, "I'll take the paycheck to be in the film," and yeah. mails it in. But but it, yeah, if he's in a movie that like, you know, if he's got good direction and stuff, like he'll give it his all. Yeah, um, which I think he really did for this movie, and uh, it definitely shows. I think all the acting is just really good. Superb. Like Chris Cooper, he's he like very believable that he didn't have front teeth throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, it, Meryl Streep's in. I mean, everyone that has a speaking line in this, I think nailed it. Because mm-hmm. like Chris Cooper, like I kind of recognized him, but the whole time I just saw him as like this kind of like backwoods hick that just went around like taking plants from I'm the smartest nature. man I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like this, uh, this, this van living sort of like intellectual hippie dude in a way. He was a very, I mean, he was a smart dude though. He was, I mean, that was kind of the, I, I really like that, uh, the, that juxtaposition, if you will, about where he was at in life, what he was doing mm-hmm. versus the knowledge that he had. Yeah. Like, don't you think, um, he could have he he could have got into like a, a university or a, a high school and taught. Oh yeah. Like I feel like I, I like he definitely could have been able to do that now, granted whatever was weighing on him, but I thought right. it was a cool I I like that word I mean, juxtaposition for what he was. Yeah, and you could argue that it was like him and his almost inability to adapt to the situation that happened to him because after his wife dies and after he loses his nursery, he kinda like loses that focus for things. <laughs> And sort of has to like go with the wind with almost any interest that he gains. You know, he gets interested in orchids for like a certain period of time, and then he's interested in the ocean. And then he tells Meryl Streep that he never is going to set foot in the ocean again. You know, he yeah. just he kind of like jumps from one thing to another, and he's very sure of himself that way. But it's almost like a defense mechanism. Yeah, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. It, yeah, not adapting gets to a point where he needs to make a change or turn the. You know, take a step over and he can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the fact that um, it's so layered and that like after his meeting with um, the speaker, what was his name? McKee. McKee. I, was, uh, yeah, I know it was McKee. I just don't remember what it was. Yeah. After his meeting with McKee is basically when the movie kind of like just becomes the sort of like, I don't want to say like standard sort of like hero's journey, but. It, it it gets an arc. It like becomes a plot in yeah. a way. Like it has stakes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like these weird like different secrets going on, and like there's an affair plot happening, and there's also drugs involved, and and uh, this sort of like dangerous element to it where they're like sneaking to sneak to see if uh, Susan Orlean is cheating on his her husband with uh, yeah with this with this orchid thief guy, and uh, yeah, I just thought it was. Uh, I just thought it was really well done. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, all. That's all I got. You, you. I was that's. I was curious on your thoughts on it, and that's actually pretty good insight for. Uh, yeah, you know how layered it is. I feel like I have to watch being John Malkovich now because they included that like air quotes behind the scenes. It was of, his like, first Charlie Kaufman's first film. Yeah, that I mean, I, I'm assuming made it to Hollywood or the big screen, and and. Uh, it was it was funny that I guess not funny, but it was very interesting how they they managed to get like John Malkovich and 
Greg Kinnear and like Catherine Keener back for like small appearances throughout like the set of being John Malkovich yeah. for this movie where Nicolas Cage is playing Charlie Kaufman. Um, I thought that was really interesting and it kind of makes me want to watch being John Malkovich now. I, it, I might check it out too. Cause I saw that when I was, um, I want to say 14. Okay. 14 or 15. So, I mean, it's been like, it's been a minute. Well, not only that, but as you can tell, Charlie Coffin movies are kind of heady. So to watch, <laughs> I don't know, being John Malkovich at the age of 14, not really knowing much. Of anything You're like, what the life, hell is this? <laughs> just watched it. Small room. Kind of funny. He's in his head. All right. <laughs> not much else to it yeah this is a, this is supposed to be really funny i don't find it humorous <laughs> so i but i saw that and i was like i bet you if i rewatch that i'd be able to take a couple things from it yeah so for me uh rating yeah i, I mean, got, you can go first yeah i got one. i got adaptation i also gave it a uh nine out of ten Ooh. yeah same for me same yep. for me I'm pretty. Uh, there really wasn't much that I uh, that I had as far as like a complaint in the movie. Um, you know, there are movies that I you know, of course, like more than this. But well, yeah. Uh, as far as like all around movie goes, like this was really good, and I I would yeah. hope that people would watch it at some point because I think it's important to watch, and it's really good. Really, it's well probably. Done. I mean, it's probably a good movie for writers too. I mean, uh, well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> this would be a good movie to show in like a film class. Yeah. Like a film. That's, like, I'm not talking. Yeah. Film script writing 101. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say maybe like a high school, like senior year of high school or uh freshman year of college. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is one that would pertain to a lot of people where you could go through and dissect a lot of the screenplay. Yep. Um, no. Yeah. And to me, this is kind of, this movie's like a very, very like thick dessert. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh pretty good, but it's not something that uh, I'm going to, get seconds on right or at least go and uh grab you know a plate or anything like that it's not Um, something that i'm gonna like watch all the time no so that's where i'm at with it but a fantastic film yeah really well done um yeah definitely check it out if uh you haven't yet yeah, I mean, we just spoiled the whole thing, but <laughs> all of them, all of them, all of them are talked about and spoiled. So, you know, yeah, if obviously, you, if you've gotten to this point, then uh, what tune, the hell are you doing? Tune out to. Uh, yeah. Well, you can see um, Eternals on Peacock and Showtime. Oh, really? Yep. Streaming service. I found that out when I went to uh, Hulu. OK. Um, and now I'm a Showtime subscriber. Nice. Four dollars a month. Not bad. That's not too bad. No. For a year, though, and then it's up to like 10, so I got to make sure I stay on top of it, which I won't. (laughs) And then uh, Adaptation was a YouTube rental. I don't know where you found it at. I rented it from Amazon. Oh, I thought you were going to say Family Video. No. Usually Amazon is like the first one I check, and then if it's not free on Amazon, I'll check Netflix. And then if it's not on Netflix, I'll go to my Canopy app, and then if it's not on there, I'll just rent it from Amazon. There you go for like the four dollars. Yeah, yeah. I Sometimes think, they're less than that. Sometimes they're like uh, ninety nine cents. I think. Really? Uh, yeah. What was ninety nine cents that I rented uh, not too long ago? Ninety nine blocks. No. I mean, if I look it up, it might, uh, <laughs> so because like I put these movies in a list, so I might uh, remember. Yeah. Um, so that's. I mean, am, so I, I am. think it was. It was the nineteen eighty four Dune. <laughs> oh yeah, you watched that before you watched. 
Dune Dune? No, I watched I watched the old Dune after. Really? Yeah. All right. It's it sucks. It's so bad. <laughs> I get if you didn't like the first one, please do not check out the second one. Oh man. Um Yeah, sorry, what were you gonna say? No, I was gonna say those are your two spots to watch it. The, those ones and then uh, I'm thinking of ending things is on uh Netflix. On Netflix. And then uh probably a YouTube or an Amazon rental too. Netflix, if you have Netflix, so I, yeah, I think it's a Netflix exclusive. So Actually, I think you're right. Yeah, because yeah. I think that it, Netflix, like no, 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 you're right. It has the big N, N on it on the on yeah. the well, thing it's got when you go into ribbon. Netflix. Yeah, the no, little, little N ribbon. I'm not really used to the Netflix exclusives. Like it's, I know it's a big thing, but I kind of tuned out to Netflix when they started really ramping it up. There are like mm-hmm. the thousands. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of schlock, but. A, decent amount of it is is pretty good i would say six to seven stars probably for at least like 80 percent. like the production value is going to be good and you're going to have like decent writing in it right you know well yeah uh, yeah it's hit or miss it's hit or miss um but yeah i guess that's a good segue to go into uh i'm thinking of ending things mm-hmm. um which i guess i can quickly spoiler free summarize um before we really get into it so I'm thinking of ending things came out 2020 written by Charlie Kaufman directed by Charlie Kaufman. The this, man. this is uh, one of the few films that he's actually directed um, is about uh, this woman, this young woman who's in a relationship uh, with this guy that she's been in for about a month or so, maybe a little more than that. And she's going uh, on the road with him to his parents farmhouse where he grew up to meet his parents for the first time and she's second guessing their relationship and sort of going over like different sorts of doubts that she has about it and uh, trying to figure out whether or not uh, she wants to end things, you know, hence the title. I'm thinking of ending things now. I want to ask you Mac Hmm. because this movie is, um, is, is hard to label, right? It's hard to sort of pinpoint an exact genre to it because physical it is it's the only way it is quite surreal i would say it's it's a very like surrealist movie there's different sort of things going on where reality kind of shifts into itself where uh things aren't exactly what they seem as some trailers would say for other movies um i want to know what your interpretation of the movie is and for me yes i want i want to hear what you got out of it what the message of it was um, what you think the movie was overall about. And then I'm going to tell you what uh, I know what the movie is and like what it's trying to do. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You got that <laughs> insight? Talk to Charlie? I think uh, not, not exactly Charlie, but I think I have a good grasp of like what the movie's trying to go for. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I'm curious as to what you got uh, from it. It's very spoilers for I'm thinking of ending things, by the way. Yeah, all three of them got it. Well, I mean, and this one, I don't even know if there's much to spoil because I don't really. <laughs> I'm like it. It felt. I'm trying to think. One, there was a lot of themes that I um, took from it. Uh, one was like uh, existentialism, a crisis as you go through uh, realizing where you're at in this world with uh, the overall supreme being of things. You mentioned it, surrealism. Um, you know, uh, reality falling into reality. I think there was uh, snippets where I thought that we might be 
I'm not gonna lie. I didn't know who the uh, the the protagonist was. I guess who we're following in this film because I mm. thought it was funny that she would be in the car going, "I'm thinking of ending things in her voice," and then Jesse Plemons would cut her off. So it made me wonder: Is Jesse the narrator of this? This is an unre- unreliable narrator. One, you know. So is Jesse Plemons really the narrator? Like, where are we getting with that? So I kind of was thinking at the beginning, psychological thriller. Okay. We're going to get into it where Jesse's kind of writing the script as we go along. And then you find out that's not the case and that uh, Charlie has a lot to say about a lot of different things with uh, agents, identity. Um, I'm trying to think. There's, I thought that he was poking fun at people at times. There's a point in the film where he kind of lays out what the whole film is and what it's doing. Okay. Uh, I thought he was poking fun at the Midwest a little bit with <laughs> some of his metaphors. Um <laughs> The, the 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 pig getting uh, eaten alive by maggots and then he goes to the janitor and I thought that was kind of a, a representation or a metaphor for uh, loneliness depression and how we eat away at our lives okay you know so I uh, other than that um, the whole the whole vessel through time I kind of made up in my head that the car was a memory going back and forth traveling through Jesse Plemons' brain, and that was kind of where, where, where time was at. So as the car was moving, we were going through this this time period with them. As the car stopped, we were going through aspects, perhaps looking at what could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was uh, there was a lot going on. I'll just say yeah. that, and a lot that Charlie was, and I don't know if he if it's a lot simpler than that, but I felt that there was a lot of different ideologies or themes or points that he was trying to make throughout the film and just tied it up with these two people that really don't know each other. Um, okay. You know, so. All right. Would you like me to tell you what, uh, what, I, what my viewpoint of the movie is? Yeah. Um, the key to the movie is the janitor. Yep. The janitor is Jesse Plemons, right? Yep. So yeah. the janitor is, uh, an older version of Jesse Plemons' character. Jesse Plemons being the young man who's mm-hmm. like one of the main characters in the movie. And throughout the whole movie, the it's it's all in the janitor's head. It's all in his head. And the janitor wants to kill himself. Yeah. He, he, he wants to end his own life. And the events that happen between um, Lucy or Lucia or whatever name you want to call her because she has multiple different names throughout the movie. Right. Um, between her and Jesse Plemons' character, Jake, um, everything between them and everything between the parents, the farmhouse, when they stop at the ice cream shop and when they go to the school, basically the entire movie is all in the janitor's head. And it's, so you think this is him fantasizing? This is him going over different regrets, different sort of um life experiences that he's had sort of like where kind of like things might have went wrong mm-hmm. where things like kind of took a turn for the worse and kind of like having an almost debate with himself as to whether or not he should actually go through suicide because yeah. um i, I kind of see this as sort of like um jesse buckley who plays the woman in the movie she kind of represents that sort of um like almost like unsurety that like uncertainty that he has um throughout his life she always she's always like questioning things she's always 
uh, kind of like going through like different sorts of like bouts of doubt sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Jesse Plemons's character, Jake is more of like a, a representation of like almost like the extremes of things. You know, he kind of like sees things as more of like a face value type thing. You know, he's a character who like grew up on a farm and um, things aren't easy on a farm. And that's just kind of like how it has to be. But then like you start thinking to yourself, does it really have to be this way? Is there like a different path that I can go on? Because there's that right. there's that moment where they're they're driving back. I think it's between the ice cream shop to the school mm-hmm. towards the end of the movie. There's that moment where they're driving in the car and he's kind of like has this breakdown where he starts like questioning like whether or not um, things are going to get better, whether or not things are going to um, uh, essentially like turn up for for the good. You know, Mm -hmm. it's him like having having this sort of like emotional breakdown. And then uh, Jesse Buckley is like in the in the passenger seat going like, you know, she's like throwing her hand up and like kind of like almost like disputing what what he's saying because it, it, it she doesn't take it seriously so it's like you get like kind of the workings of like both of them yeah in a way um but essentially like those characters whenever they like share those similarities it's like his memory like blending the two of them together because there's that moment where they're in the house and he's they're like both looking at picture frames and then she's like who's that who's that child and he's like Oh, you can't recognize him? That's me. And then she goes, I'm pretty sure that's me. And then, you know, the parents come and they interrupt and then like another scene goes on. Yeah. Um, but those moments like that where the characters like kind of like blend their identities and sort of like uh embody different traits of each other is when uh the character of the janitor is really showing because it's all in his head. Right. It's all him as a person. You can kind of like get that sense of like that sort of like real world sort of creeping in into like his fantasy that he's having mm-hmm. because in the beginning when they're riding in the car to the farmhouse from like the town to the farmhouse, you can like hear her inner monologues of like her saying, I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking of breaking up with Jake. He's a really good guy, but I haven't known him that long. You can, there are moments where you can hear the janitor's voice faintly in the distance like yeah kind of over her voice or like not even over her voice just like on its own like when they pass the billboard with the pig yep and you can hear the pig's voice say come on follow me i'll show you it's like very faint but if you don't like pay attention to it and you don't catch it you can easily miss it yeah um so yeah there's just a whole different there's a whole lot of things going on like in his head you know he's thinking about the regrets that he has with um like how how nobody was able to like see the good stuff that he did for his parents. You know, there's that scene where he's like feeding his his elderly mom or like trying to, and he like yeah. makes that comment. Like sometimes I feel like nobody sees the good that you do in the world, and that's like a part of him that is like kind of contributing to the fact that he wants to end his own life. You know, he's he knows that he's done good things and he knows that he's done things that he's proud of, but what point is there if nobody recognizes them what point is there if like he doesn't have anybody to show them to and so the movie is ultimately about like his loneliness and like how he didn't accomplish the things that he wanted to in his life and ultimately wants to end it yeah that makes sense yeah i was uh i kind of picked up on the janitor when they got to the dance or the scene in the school Mm. 
and obviously they had the little diner thing and he's kind of they said the names in it and then they go back and they said they called her by the name from the woman in the diner yeah and I was kind of oh this is the janitor but then they go to the school and that's when I kind of started losing out on when it was uh mixing in with the janitor because she walks up and gives him the hug in the school Mm -hmm. they kind of talk for a minute and he's just can't believe it's her which like looking back now that kind of makes sense like it's finally maybe he's confronting this Mm -hmm. maybe he's finally saying i'm letting you go i think yeah i think in that moment it's him like finally making peace Mm -hmm. with certain aspects of his life because throughout the movie her story changes as to like how the two of them met yeah how like one the first story it's like trivia night the second story, it's like at this like college seminar or something, and then finally, like you get to the end of the movie, and he's just standing there, like looking at her, like him as the janitor mm-hmm. is standing there looking at her. In his head, it's kind of like him accepting the fact that um, it wasn't like this sort of like um, fairy tale, this like fairy yeah. tale sort of like thing. It was just the fact that he kept staring at her, and she felt pressured. He was like kind of being a creep. Excuse I just me. said yes because it was easier easier to say yes than no. I was yeah. never taught how to say no, so it's just easier to say yes. Yeah, exactly. She has that whole whole speech to him about how how she felt pressured into like saying yes to him, and so that kind of like led into like the the sort of like lackluster nature of their relationship and how yeah she had those doubts in the first place, or at least he thinks that she had those doubts in the first place in his head because that's just what he's assuming is the reason for their relationship ending. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, whether or not that was actually the case is uncertain, but um, yeah, that was just kind of like him accepting that fact and for sort sure. of like being at peace with that part of his, his fantasy, I guess you could say. Yeah, there was, um, and I agree with that cause I, I got tapered off. I was pretty, I was under that inclination and then they had that meeting Right. And that's, I guess, just kind of not understanding some of what's going on and what he's thinking about or dealing with. But then you have the uh, the fight, the dance. Oh, yeah. The dance. That threw me off. OK. That's when I really started. I was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if maybe that was his acceptance or if that was him saying that this is going to happen. I think uh, I think that was um, that was a moment of high fantasy mm-hmm. that turns into a moment of of almost morbid reality. Because in the dance itself, it's an exaggerated version of what he's been fantasizing about. You know, it's it's like a fairy tale esque scenario where he's dancing with this woman. He's like winning her over. They're beautiful together. They have this wonderful thing going on. The door opens for them. They like glide through it together yeah. as like this beautiful couple. This veil falls down on her head, and a priest comes out, and they get married. But then all of a sudden, an exaggerated version of this. <laughs> this like villain janitor character comes out and they have like this violent dance with like him and the, the fighting they're fighting. And, and I think that's supposed to represent um, what he wanted in life versus what he actually got. So what he wanted in life was like this sort of like fairy tale kind of thing. This like romantic view find her of like finding, finding like the perfect woman um, having a life with her and being happy versus what reality had in store for him, you know, him getting a job as a janitor at his old school and losing the woman that he, you know, didn't really have the best connection with in the first place. And so, you know, he's left there dead. And then you see the, 
the real janitor, I guess air quotes, real janitor, like coming up and like sweeping away, like all the snow and stuff that is around the dead body of like his idealized self. Mm-hmm. Sort of like him, like coming to terms with the fact that this is never going to be my life. And it was unrealistic of me to think that it was going to be my life. It's so weird. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't follow them for being bad. He is kind of sad and curmudgeon. He, yeah, he's, um, you can tell he's someone that kind of like he has a lot of regrets. Oh, a hundred percent. Well, and I guess I wasn't too far off with thinking that Plemons was the narrator at the beginning. It just was, it was the older Plemons. Yeah. It's, uh, it's the, the version of him that has gone through thought, life. Yeah. So no, when I was watching it, <clears throat> I honestly had the, the, um, oh, I don't even know the thought process about what is grounded in reality versus, um, kind of what what's happening mm-hmm. um so as we were going along with it with the janitor making up these alternate you know um scenes with the parents yeah right there was a scene where the parents were old they were young they were weird one time there was an old and then the dad was incredibly young yep and it was kind of throwing me off and i was just thinking oh man it's our, it's our perception with the world and how we go through it and mm-hmm. what we can be you know, essentially what is our reality is what we determine it is, mm-hmm. you know? So I was watching it in that, in that light. So the janitor thing was kind of throwing me off a little bit and I was like, oh, maybe this is kind of him. Yeah. You know, but I didn't really think it about it was choices that were made or that were meant to be made. It was him kind of crafting up these, uh, uh, pathways. Well, you it, know? it's, it's interesting how, uh, um, cause like, like I said, it's all in his head. And so, like, a lot of his fantasy, um, a good portion of it is cohesive, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. There are, like, small elements where, like, things go a little bit weird, like when the dog starts shaking and it shakes for just a little bit too long. I think there were were devices put in there to kind of keep it maybe on the psychological thriller side. But in those scenes, there are still, like, sometimes moments where, like, the longevity of the scene is for the most part normal. Mm-hmm. And that's when he has like the most cohesive memory. I think it's when the memories start like piling on top of each other is when they get really like fragmented and hazy. Cause like you said, those moments where yeah. the mom is like really old, but then the, the dad is like really young still at the same time or like the inverse or like they're both really old. Um, I think it's just like him kind of like, trying to hastily like put these memories together and the ones where they're like the most cohesive are the memories that he has like the strongest so grasp the car on. when they're in the car the whole time. Yeah. When they're in the car the whole time or um, when they're at dinner with uh, his parents, you know, you can tell that that could be a memory that uh, lasted for quite a while with him and that, that it's something that he remembers Maybe that's- clearly. Where it went wrong, or maybe that's what he blames it on, and then past that, it was, you know. Ugh, my voice is dying so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it was, Um, I mean, that was kind of, I was thinking about, Um, oh, I hate to bring in Marvel, but the multiverse. You oh, know, yeah. These, well, the, the, the branches of timelines that can can deviate from certain, from certain periods of time, you uh-huh. know, or from certain actions, and you can see, how that action had the ripple effect and different strands. So I'm watching it that way. And I was just thinking like maybe, um, 
he's going through thinking about, you know, maybe this is where it went wrong. Maybe that's where it went wrong. Maybe this is how it, and you know, because mm-hmm. you get the dad with the Alzheimer's and then the mom's sick, but the dad's still there. So like you're saying, compounding memories, I was just trying to think of maybe that these things were uh, alternate you know, realities for him on, on, on when it could have went wrong. Right. And but, a lot of the memories that he has too, you can take as like unreliable because they're oh, from his point of view. He's a hundred percent unreal. There's un- so many things in the, in the film that like, you know, they're, they're quote unquote memories, but yeah. Um, I mean, throughout the entire thing, you know, especially Jesse Buckley's character, her character is so like unsure of like who she is and like what her identity is. I mean, her name changes almost every scene. And IMDb, she's labeled as like the lady or the girl. Mm-hmm. Because uh, how else? I mean, I guess Lucy is the most consistent name she has, yeah, but like that's only in the beginning. On her, yeah. Because like it goes from like Lucy to like Lucia to Aim Ames Ames. Ames. It kind of like devolves into like a, a name that's not even close to like what the first name was. Right. Yeah. And it's it's like she's like just an amalgamation of like this memory that like he has put together through like either one partner or, you know, who knows, multiple partners, because not only does she have multiple names, but she has multiple professions, you know. Yeah. They, you know, at one point they say that she's a poet and then they say she's a physicist and then they say that she a painter is a painter and yeah. then that she's like this uh, biochemistry student or something like that like all her different fields like come and go and they like kind of like dip and like rise and like these sort of waves and yeah, they always change for every, 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 every gal that he never made it work with that just gets put, put together. Yeah. And they're always like this, um, prestigious sort of position that he, he gives them, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, he, he doesn't give them a, a profession like, you know, say a janitor or well, like there a was fast food worker. One time, I think they said that she was a waitress. There was, yeah. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think that was like paying for schooling or something like that. Like, you you did this, but it was to get to that. Yeah, because like know? she and she always like gives like different reasons kind of why she has to go back home. Like, I told you I have yeah. to go back to start my shift early or I told you I have to go back to like write this paper. You know, there's like all these different like things that are changing. Different reasons why I have to get back home. I mean, she basically really did. And yeah. um, what's funny too in that specific scene when they're driving from, I think it's the ice cream place to the school. Like at one point, the actress just changes altogether. She changes yeah. into the actress that he, as the janitor, is viewing in a movie in the real world that <laughs> yeah. is directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Did you like that? That scene? I was so like it, it, that one was happening, and then I'm just sitting there because I think it showed him turning it on uh-huh. and watching it, and then you hop in it, and then you really well. It's funny because after that, so watching that, I kind of felt like the janitor had some part to play in the film. I wasn't exactly sure, and then it kind of came up where it might be Plemons, right? But after that, um, the chick in the in the movie, her name was like Lucia. Because you're saying it, because she was going up the stairs, and then he goes, hey, Lucia, where are you going? Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is obviously the janitor's plemons. But I didn't, I wish I would have put more to uh, gather with recreating yeah. moments that were going on. Mm-hmm. I kind of figured it was just this one person, and uh, he was trying to figure out, you know, where, where, essentially where it went wrong. Right. And, you know, for me, it was, if you were at the house, you were granted at that 
grounded in that point. And if you were in the car, obviously you're grounding and in, in, in some sort of time elapse, mm-hmm. perhaps different approaches to conversation that he could have said that maybe would have made her stay with him. And you kind of go through it where you just find out that they really don't have, I don't want to say anything in common because the second part when they're going back, I mean, they're laying out a lot of stuff and their differences as people. But it goes to your point though, with the multitude of partners, uh, they talk about probably 12 different things and they get in arguments in the car about. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like she, her, like at one point her entire personality changes. Like she all of a sudden becomes like this really, um, snobby critic. Yeah. The snobby like movie critic that's like smoking a cigarette the entire yeah. time. And she has like this New York accent all of a sudden. No, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even make sense of it all. Darling, if you could do it like that, I mean, it doesn't even make, you know? Uh huh. Yeah. It was, it was insane. She did a fantastic job too. Mm-hmm. So, and then the, and then the janitor, you know, they get with the, the pig. That thing had me like, that was, that was, I'm trying to think of a word. It was uh, eerie. Unsettling? Yeah, but it also had a weird, it was just a vibe. I mean, like you said, like he was talking about <laughs> taking his life and like the pigs going through talking about it. And it was just, that, it was off-putting, I guess. Unsettling, off-putting. Like I was listening to this pig and I was like, this poor guy like walking through. And I, that's when I thought it was kind of a, they were poking fun at the Midwest. I was like, you know, this this big guy with the pigs being eaten alive. We do nothing. We have to hide our loneliness. So what do we do? We feed into all of our insecurities with food, you know, because you had the the uh, the dairy shop, which yeah. now looking back, it's probably him as a kid being tormented by those gals. And that was probably another girl that he had a crush on that was doing the sizzling thing with the rash. Mm-hmm. I saw that as more of like, and you, you know, you could be totally right in that assessment. Um, we could be both right in each of our assessments, but for me, I think I saw that scene as more of like kind of a reflection of like what he goes through like day to day as a janitor, you know, because like they, they go to the school and they find all those, like they find all those dairy cups in the dumpster. Like it's just filled with those cups and it kind of reflects like maybe like his day to day (laughs) habits and it could be like a, just a reflection of like what he goes through as a janitor because, um, you know, you see the scene in the movie where like he's walking by and those girls like kind of make fun of him. It was, uh, when they're, yeah, same girls by the locker. Yep. And I think it's the same girls that were at the dance. I think he goes up and they made eye contact and they kind of, mm-hmm. they were repulsed a little bit that he was watching them. Yeah. And, and so like, of course in his memory, you know, Jesse Plemons, him being that character, he, he, he is like a young person is like, Oh, I, I don't like the girls that are some of the girls that are here. They're, they're not very nice. And like, it, it just kind of like empathize, it emphasizes that sadness that yeah. he feels in that situation in his lot in life. And then, you know, they encounter the other girl that's there, the one that has the rash on her arms, who is a lot nicer, is a lot more considerate. And, you know, they have that moment in the hallway when they walk past each other in school where like she kind of like acknowledges him like they acknowledge each other in like an almost like I understand sort of way. But yeah. they don't really say anything to each other. And so him in his mind, he kind of like took that as sort of like the closest thing to like, I guess not companionship, but just like empathy that he could think of in that moment. And he used that character to like almost justify like maybe not killing himself because there's that scene where she like looks at her and like goes, you don't have to go. And she's like, what do you mean? And she's like, you don't have to go. This, this doesn't have to end. Yeah. You You can stay. And it kind of like represents that sort of like 
nature of like him second guessing whether or not he should kill himself. Yeah. And like whether or not he doesn't have to go through it when he like has kind of set his mind on this idea. So for me, that was like kind of what it represented. Um, and like, like you said, you know, it could totally like represent. No, no, no. I mean, well, yeah, both. I mean, I think, but that's your, you're spot on with this thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, it was a little too, uh, heady for me so <laughs> while watching it i well and i dived really more into like i don't know i started looking up like metaphysical stuff and like you know philosophies existentialism like mm-hmm. nietzsche got brought up a couple times nietzsche nietzsche so i was i was just trying to figure out i was like man like i've i feel like this has got he's trying to say a lot more about our reality mm-hmm. and it just sounds like i mean it, you know like i yeah obviously trying to go through in his own mind about whether or not he should end it so yeah um it's just really like the the inner machinations of of the janitor as a character and sort of like the the thought processes that he has you know the regrets that he has in life the 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 current thoughts that he has and like how his fantasies sort of like play into his desires and his ultimate you know outcome which you know we can we can i guess talk about um so do you think, I guess my, my next question for you is, do you think you went through with it? <laughs> oh, I had a hard time with that. Um, so it's very, it is up for debate because, you know, there's the scene where he's walking behind the, cause like he's in the car, right? He's in his truck Yeah, I mean, he's, and he doesn't start the car and he like takes all of his clothes off and you think, oh, he's going to like die of hypothermia. But then he like looks out the window and he sees the vision of like this animated pig with maggots, mm-hmm. which is like touched on earlier in the movie when Jake brings um, Lucy, I guess for lack of a better name, to the farm and he tells her about the story about the pig with maggots. So he goes and he follows this animated pig into the school and this whole time this pig is very like calm, almost sort of like uh, encourage- encouraging in like a weirdly parental way. Like yeah, just re- uh, he's just saying it's. I think he was reassuring. Just yeah. saying, hey, you know, it's not it's gonna like, be that bad when it happens. Like, uh, yeah, he says something along the lines of like, not everyone wants to be a pig with maggots. Sometimes yeah. you just. Sometimes that's just your lot in life, or like something like that. You have to accept. It, it was. I mean, that's exactly. I mean, it's just gonna have to accept your fate for what what you're dealt, the hand that you're dealt. So mm-hmm. don't feel guilty about what you're what you're doing. You know, I mean, it's just I don't want to get eaten alive by maggots, but. It happens, um, you know. So then he he walks him down the hall, and they like kind of like turn a corner. And the last thing that you hear the pig say to him is, "Let's get you dressed." And then it cuts to this scene where Jesse Plemons is like on stage in like old makeup. It's That's... like it's like weirdly like kind of like surrealist, like pale white wrinkled oh, makeup. Just, uh, it was so bizarre. I mean, they obviously it's very did bizarre. it for. Uh, effects right and you know. and it, it like portrays jesse plemons as an old person but it's very like it's very exaggerated yeah and so he's up there and he's accepting like the nobel prize and he's giving this speech and everyone in the audience is like people that he knows but they're all like dressed up and old too uh including lucy the everyone his girlfriend. In, yeah they're they're everyone in here's made to look like they're 80 like yeah. they they aged with them but they are of the same it was weird because they're 
the the high school girls. Right. They're and, in it. And, they they're they're made to look like they're eighty, but they still you can obviously tell they're the high school girls. And his his dad is in the audience, and his mom is like on stage with them, like off to the right, mm-hmm. like way far off. And like you see her, and like they're all in the weird makeup too. And then he like gives the speech, and then he like sings the song from Oklahoma, which yeah. he references throughout the movie. Um, as being like one of the one of the plays that he knows, you know, he's not a guy who knows a lot about plays. He just and, knows Oklahoma, and then he lists off like twenty of them. Yeah. Um. So then he starts singing this song, and the second, like the first time I watched it, I really didn't like. I really didn't catch what the song was trying to mean. But the second time watching it, um, it, it's kind of like this sort of like what could have been, like what he thinks should have been, sort of thing. Kind of like almost reaffirming the the dance scene. Uh, mm-hmm. That was at the school earlier in the movie. I guess not super earlier because it was like right before it, basically. But that scene to him was like kind of like uh, uh, establishing, like laying all his success on the fact that like he's found somebody to call his own in a way. Because like that's, I think, what the song is about. I mean, I could be totally off base. This is probably like the part no. of the movie that I'm like the fuzziest on. That's <laughs> so I was trying to listen to the lyrics of the song. So I was trying to. The, pick scene happen mm-hmm. and then you know they this popped up and i was trying to that's when i was really like all right i'm not exactly sure um who the narrator of this was because right. i'm pretty you can go on but that's it happened right after it yeah so then you know that scene happens and then the the credits pop up right and the mm-hmm. credits are the school in the daytime with like the the car parked outside covered in snow mm-hmm. and it's the it's the car that Jesse Plemons was driving the when he's with his girlfriend um and i i didn't like stick around to hear it myself but i guess towards the end of the movie you can hear like this weird scraping sound like someone scraping ice off of a car hmm. and you could interpret that as being the janitor who decided not to take his own life um or you could just interpret it as like um, someone coming along and like scraping ice off of a desolate vehicle. Who knows? You know, it's 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 up for interpretation, much like a lot of elements of this movie. But oh, it's insane! Yeah, that's uh, I uh, and I'll tell you right now. I thought he just offed himself in that the um, the old the song that Jesse Plemons sang mm-hmm. was just essentially maybe like one last kind of thought before he went. Yeah, because there there is like this sort of ominous like beat to it too. Like tor- when when the song finishes, it's like that boom. Sort if you of. listen to the lyrics of the song, it's pretty much saying like I, I was trying to figure. I figured that they uh, we'd have to look it up, but it turns out that uh, the love of his life was like gone, and he just grow grew up in a in a room by himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and eventually it kind of gets back to that stage where here I am, you know, all alone. Yeah. And uh that's when he looked at her and she was she realized that she didn't go through with it with him. Jesse Buckley. Yeah. So listening to the song I was like, "Oh, I I think that this is it didn't happen, you know." And not talking about like him. Sounds like the guy did it. And that was his last little thought about how he got to that point. Right. You know, so but maybe you know I didn't see the I didn't see the uh, the car thing, but it also make me wonder why wouldn't it be the truck that he was scraping if that car was a yeah if it was like the car that they were driving in yeah. his fantasy yeah yeah it's um it, it's very much a, a 
not loose ending, but it's up for interpretation, like I said. For sure. But um yeah, was um was there anything else you wanted to touch on? There's a there's a lot going on in this movie. There's a ton of like different themes. There's a ton of different I mean, I guess the overall arching theme is um like a sense of purpose and like the regrets you have. Yes. And um whether or not you've wasted your life, but they're all different sorts of themes of like you know, taking care of your parents, like the responsibility that you inherit after your parents age to a certain point, um, how the cruelness of life, you know, he says that life is hard growing on a farm or it's, it's like, uh, not easy or something like that. It kind of alludes to like the unfairness of certain things. Yeah. Um, and of course the, the surface level, like unsurety of, of a relationship that is still fairly new. And uh, whether or not you you want to commit to something that you feel like you know is going to fail, sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a decent amount going on. This whole movie <laughs> is sprinkled with. I mean, there's a lot of topics of conversation. I mean, <laughs> you know, kind of how we're formed as as children versus. Uh, I mean, just there's in so many like little. Um, quips. They talked about the song about uh, maybe it's cold outside. Yeah, they, they, they debated that. that that song whether or not it was a rape song. They uh, they touched on cinema when she turns into that cinema snob as a whole, kind of making fun of audience members for you know not being. I I wish I could remember exactly what she was talking about on how the 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 writer what he was trying to come across to the point. And I'm pretty sure Kaufman in that little quip was talking about that the film that he wrote. Mm-hmm. And that people were going to be in this position of not understanding what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. So she goes on about that. Because it, it's funny, too, because that happens. And then when that and she goes on about that, Jesse Plemons, the only time in the film I really remember him uh, not having any intellect or being able to, um, I don't know, you know. Being fight. able to have a rebuttal. Yeah. Fight back with what she was saying. And she, she ran over him. Mm-hmm. And he just he seemed like a, like a wimp. But then there's also things too. I mean, there's a but there's a there's a bunch of things you know that yeah. pop in here. I thought you know for me the biggest one was just kind of uh, where the reality that you perceive versus the reality that you're in, and how each person has their own um, reality for what they but they seem to be right and wrong. I mean, it's just started kind of at a baseline level with it. Yeah. So that was the big that was a heavy one as I was going through with it. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, it was good. I, I mean, I enjoyed watching it, and it made it makes you think throughout the whole time, you know. Yeah, I really like um, I really like the scenes where they're in the car together, just driving through the snow. I think it's not only are those scenes important, you know, story wise, obviously, right. but aesthetically, the way they feel, it just feels, it makes you feel like you're just on the road, just <laughs> going down late at night, like riding in the back seat with your parents, and you're just watching them talk. And it's weirdly comfortable in a way, but you know, there's a part of it too. That's also kind of unsettling because you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on in this movie. But the way that it's shot and the way that it's lit is so convincing. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I really enjoy those scenes. And then of course the scenes too, where they're in the house um, and there's like all the different like floral wallpaper and the lighting changes. Like you notice that like sometimes her shirt changes color um, or like she's wearing a necklace in one scene and then she's not wearing a necklace in the other. I think just like little details like that where like the, the memories that he has are like slightly changing different aspects of like what he's trying to fantasize about. I think yeah. it's really well done. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
Yeah. And then the music too, I thought was good. Um, very ominous. Very ominous. Uh, very subtle too. I think. What did you think of? Um, what did you think of Tony Collette's character, the mom? I didn't. I'm gonna tell you right now. <laughs> I didn't like. I didn't like the being on the farm. You didn't like being on the farm. No, I just it. it one of the things that they were talking about, you know, going home. How going home is. Uh, going home is terrible. Yeah. Terribly lonely. And I, I don't agree with that, but just the. Uh, the the frozen tundra, you know, the backdrop of winter, being isolated like that, mm-hmm. kind of going back. They go talk about the farm animals, talk about the pigs, and I was just like, oh, okay, this is getting a little, a little deep for me. And then you get in there, and the dad's got a bandage on his head. Tony goes, my mom's a little nuts. He gets in there, he's screaming, hello, hello. No one's answering, mm-hmm. you know. So I just, I got, we got to that that part, and I was just like, I like the dad. The dad's. Uh, from Harry Potter, I can't remember the guy. Not from Harry Potter, but he's, David Lewis. Is that his name? I think so. Yeah, he was. I thought he was uh, a little charming, but they both were creepy and rigid. But it makes sense mm-hmm. if you're going off the memory that you have of your parents. Like that's he doesn't he isn't able to like really fill in their personality. Yeah, especially he, if he viewed them as cold and callous like that, they probably come off. And I think she even says at a point they were you know your mom was cold, and he goes, "What's that mean?" She goes, mm-hmm. "Nothing. I didn't mean it." You know, so yeah, like she, she, well, she compares his mom to like being cold, like something else. And then yeah. they like pause for a moment because like they're laughing at what she said. And then he kind of like lets it sink in. He thinks about it for a second. And then he's like, what does that mean? And then like she like immediately like defends herself. No, no, no I, I don't didn't, know why I said that. Yeah, I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Or like something like she that. She was very lovely. Mm-hmm. But I mean, no, I agree. I just the whole time I was just like, and, and to that point, if that's what they were going for. And that was a really good job that they they did a really good job with it. I just didn't like I didn't like the farm scene at all. I was just <laughs> kind of I like the cars, right? Okay, you know the car scenes were pretty cool, and I loved the dialogue that they had and a lot of the um, I don't know things that they were talking about, just touching on different sorts of topics with like a little bit deeper meaning, mm-hmm. you know. But they still and they, but they just couldn't connect, which was kind of funny. Which you. I think, yeah, I think a part of that, too, is like, you know, because it's Charlie Kaufman. He likes to touch on all sorts of different themes in the stuff that he writes. But I think part of it, too, is the fact that they're fragments of memories. Yeah. And that they're just these, like, things that are, try- like, trying to barely connect together in in the most, like, cohesive way possible while also being, like, fragments of memories of this old dude working in a school, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, it's why things start changing all of a sudden. And like certain scenes, you know, in one scene she'll be wearing a shirt that's blue. And then the next scene she'll be wearing a shirt that's red or like how his parents age throughout the whole thing. And I think the farm scene was a good scene to kind of like show that that was like kind of where it was and like how it was working. And, you know, you oh. might not necessarily catch it the first time, no, which no, no, I no. think this movie has like high replayability, um, but yeah, I think uh, I think the farm scene for me anyway was a was a good display of of how that sort of fantasy worked. Um, no, I agree. I think I mean like just re- think about it in my head right now, revisiting it, just going mm-hmm. through this. Um, it makes more sense than what I was kind of in, inferring about the film. So. Um, yeah, I just didn't like, but I mean, it's the same thing though. I just, I didn't, the whole vibe of it, the the feel of it, just, <laughs> you know. It's, uh, it's, it's certainly weird. That's for sure. But no, it's not weird. It's just, I don't, it's, 
I don't know. I mean, it's a weird, I feel like it's, it'd be weird to most people, probably. Think, prop, well, if I show this to my parents, they'd be like, that was a weird movie, you know? The general audience, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you don't think that they would be... Probably don't, they don't pick up on the dark, the subject matter. Oh, I think I think my dad would be bored of this movie, probably. Yeah. My mom might like it. I don't know. I know she listens to this, so yeah. she'll she'll be asking me about it later. Careful she'll be like, what, what do you, you think? Say. <laughs> um, that was my mom impersonation. I can't do it exactly right because my voice is just dying. Jacked. It's it's so gone. Yeah. So uh no, but I do agree with that though. I mean this is I this is definitely heady as a thinker and if you don't have you know for me the whole time if I if you're don't, not an intellect, don't watch this movie. No, that's not well <laughs> I would say you have to if you go into some of these films you have to kinda develop your own thoughts as you're watching and yeah you know make it make sense to you where a lot of people just like to have the well spoon fed to you. Well I was I was just I would just say if you watch this movie, pay attention. Don't get distracted by anything. Make sure that you have your full attention to what's going on because you can easily miss something that could be vital or like uh, integral to your interpretation of what's going on because, you know, you throw on Transformers and it's like, cool, I can look at my phone for 20 minutes and, and nothing in the plot will change. Whereas like this movie, you look away for a second, like, an actual second you could miss something that you would have otherwise picked up and could relate to back when the movie's done i don't know i'm gonna i would be curious as to see how many people got uh would get um it being a memory because okay. i agree with you 100 percent. i mean i really think that that's a good call but mm-hmm. i'd be interested to see how many people could watch that that's why i don't i don't know if it's necessarily paying attention or missing anything because i feel like the conversations in the cars we talked about was charlie kaufman being kaufman so you those are that's 40 seconds of filler right there that you could take out i mean really if you get the janitor stuff going on along with the farmhouse mm-hmm. you'll have bits and pieces of information from the car tied in i mean that's what makes a lot of sense and then you get to the you know the school yeah so um i will say the ice cream that they got the like the oreo stuff it looked so good really i really i really wanted one when they were eating it so when they bad. were eating it or when they were sitting in the car and it was melting? Well, well not go, when it was melting. Like, when they first handed right, it to them. All right, like, I'm just making sure. Just making sure. Yeah, no, I'm craving, like, melted warm ice cream. <laughs> hey, you don't have to get defensive about it. I'm only making a joke. All right. Yeah, so. Um, but, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, was there anything else you wanted to touch on with uh, this movie before we uh, wrap things up here, I guess? Nope. No, that was... Uh, what would you uh what would you rate it? That's my question. Uh I would give this movie a seven out of ten. But okay. you know, there's different aspects of the film that I think that you like versus what I like. And I don't think that me, I mean, just not really being a writer, or, I mean, even maybe picking up on some of that stuff. Uh, but I did like how it made me think. And I thought throughout this whole film. Man, if you think about it, though, it really makes you think, though. What's that mean? It means exactly what it means. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely gets your brain churning. I just, like I said, I mean, there are just certain points where I was kind of just taken out. But the like the writing was good. It made me think. And there's good dialogue in it. But the farm scene, I didn't really like. The parents, I didn't like. And 
I don't know. Some of the times just Yeah. They're a little exaggerated, but yeah, I think that was of kind of the point. Well, and I'm not a big like, you know, put it out in the middle of of the, you know, the, of a Michigan winner in the in the nineteen fifties. Like go up to Gaylord, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's go hang out there for three days. <laughs> I've never been like I just don't I don't know. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't for me. So this one, but obviously they need to have it I mean, cold and desolate, right? Kind of fits the mood. Yeah. 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 Kind of fits the atmosphere of yeah. like a, a a fuzzy sort of memory slash fantasy sort of thing. Yeah. Um so I'm guessing you probably had a better higher rating for it. Uh I'd give this movie a ten out of ten. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's it's absolutely amazing. Um I think everyone should check it out. And so would you go off of that ten out of ten for what would, I mean, what would be the... the uh, I would go off of it for simply, um, I mean, the story itself, mm-hmm. right? How multifaceted it is, how uh, how much he was able to incorporate and how seamless, at least to me, it seemed. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the cinematography I thought was beautiful. I thought the acting was great. I thought the score was amazing. Um, there really wasn't much that I had as far as, like, a complaint because everything intrigued me. Everything that happened made me go, I wonder what this relates to. I wonder where this is going in the story and like how this fits in with everything, you know, because mm-hmm. I was not really able to guess where things were going. For and sure. so uh, having that feeling the entire time watching it sort of up to the value of it for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where my yeah, high score comes from. Yeah. I, and plus I'm, I really like movies that, are kind of like surreal kind of like make you wonder like what's happening with reality and whether or not something is reality. Um, I mean, that's like the kind of story that I like to write too. Um, yeah. It's like these sort of like surreal, not sure what's going on situations where reality is just kind of like imploding on itself sort of thing. So personal preference plus appreciation for what the movie did. Sure. No, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's kind of... Yeah. You know? Um, so we got 10 out of 10, 7 out of 10. You guys check it out. Let us what, know what you think. At our scores, it's 17 out of 10. Bam. Super high score. We did it, Mac. 17 out of 20. We... Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Check out I'm Thinking of Ending Things. <laughs> it's on Netflix if you have it. Hopefully you do. If yeah. not, well, get who the, doesn't have Netflix nowadays? You know, my parents have it now. They uh, they have my login now. So uh, they got they got. It's funny because they got a new DVD player, basically like a Blu-ray player oh, that supports has, Netflix, uh, so that we could finish watching Squid Game. Because <laughs> we were on vacation in North Carolina, and we were just like in the in the hotel room, like condo or whatever, and we were like. Ah, weather kind of sucks outside. What should we watch? And I like at, at that point I had already watched the show. Right, yeah. I had watched it on the way down because we were driving. I watched it on the way down to like kill time, and I said, "Hey, let's check this out." And my parents were like a little hesitant because you know it's a Korean uh, TV show, so <laughs> they would either have to go with dubbed, which I heavily discouraged, right? Yeah. Or they would have to go subbed. And my dad was like, "I don't want to read subtitles this whole time." And then, you know, next thing you know we're watching like three episodes in a row and then where we like leave off is where we pick back up when I 
get Netflix hooked up on their TV. And so like we finished the show that way. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, that's the story about so how my parents have Netflix. I was about to say, do they, you got to have the, they don't have the smart TV or anything. No, their TV's kind of old. I mean, it's a flat screen, but it's, they got it. My parents are the same. I mean, they got it like six years ago or something like that. Yeah. I think my parents are the same way. They got their, their TV, maybe eight, 10, like it barely, it has newer applications on there, but they're pretty much, um, mm-hmm. whatever I th- am pretty darn close, whatever came out at the time of the purchase. Like, uh, so they had Netflix, they, they had the Netflix application through their TV, like the internet from their TV, mm-hmm. but it was such like an outdated format that it no longer like supported on there. Really? Like they, they just could not get Netflix at all anymore. They so. couldn't update it or get it. Nope. Nope. The, the thing was too old. So, uh, they had to, they had to get a different new sort of thing, which, you know, I'm hoping that they use it again sometime. Like I'm like, Hey, here's my Netflix, watch whatever you want on here. And you know, they, yeah. other than squid game, we haven't really used it over there for much. So they're not like a big, they're not big movies then. Uh, my parents. Yeah. Um, they like movies. I think, uh, I think they just like watching movies as an activity, you know, that's something that they don't really think about too much, but they appreciate good movies when they see good movies. And then they also appreciate not good movies when they see, (laughs) when they see them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. That's all. They're not very discriminatory, um, when it comes to that sort of thing, but Hey, more power to them. I love you guys. Uh, (laughs) shout shout out to Kyle's parents. Shout out to my mom and dad. (laughs) Um, so you have a film pick, my friend, you get to, you get to pick the next film that we talk about. I know. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the feel for, uh, so we want kind of, I mean, deep and heady this week. Yes. So if you just want to pick like one movie that like, we can just kind of kick our feet up, sort of, sort of have a a back alley chat about, you know, we can, we can definitely do that. Have some fun with that. Or we go double down and make it super heady. (laughs) Yeah. We go even more into it. Uh, Just more Charlie Kaufman. (laughs) Yeah. Go into uh, primer. (laughs) Primer. Yeah. Stop on that one. I would want Gideon on for that. If, uh, if we talked about primer, I think. That'll be, that'll be, that's, um. That'll be down the road. Down the road, okay. So there is a movie that I have not... I watched when I was getting my master's uh, at Ferris. Uh-huh. I watched this, like, it was in the background, and it's, um... It is directed by S. Craig Zoller. Ooh, remember? yeah. He did, um... He did Brawl in Cell Block 99, right? And? And Dragged Across Concrete. So he had one before those two. Oh, I think I know what you're going with. Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh, I have not seen Bone Tomahawk. So we, it's not too crazy, but I do want to check out a a, a good film. Okay. You know? And I, 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 I kind of teased about the. That's the, exciting. The two thousand stuff, but I love that's Craig Zoller, right? Mm-hmm. And we both really liked. Um, it wasn't Cell. Well, obviously Cellblock was awesome. What was the one after that? We both uh, dragged across concrete. Dragged across concrete. That was a good film. Loved it. That and that's what. So I'm thinking maybe we'll we'll watch some Bone Tomahawk and maybe talk about one of the two, or just watch Bone and then we can talk about how they all kind of relate or whatever you want to yeah. do. But yeah, I figured we could talk about that and then like <laughs> kind of lightly relate it to the other movies. Yeah. And I was also thinking too, 
Um, I think it'd be good to like maybe if we tried to watch the new Wes Anderson movie, um, The French Dispatch. Maybe if we like try to do that, that could be a, a good topic oh, of discussion too. Throw that in there, yeah. Get a get a new release, you know? Yeah. Um, the French Dispatch is that coming out the theaters? It, yeah, it's out right now. Okay. Um, Gideon went and saw it uh, yesterday. He's a big Wes Anderson guy, right? Yeah, he loves Wes Anderson. Yeah. I like Wes Anderson too. I know a lot of people say that he's like too quirky for him. I think either you, like you're kind of you fit into his team or you don't. Yeah, I all. like I like most of his movies. There are a few that I'm sort of lukewarm on, but yeah. we can get into that when we talk about French Dispatch. Sure. Um. So yeah, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for uh, picking that. I can't wait to watch. Um, I really like his other two movies that I've seen. It's gonna be they're of the same they're it's of the same vein. So well I should the the plots um did you know what it's about? Um is it a western? Yes. Yeah set back in like the eighteen nineties, I think there's a uh there's a heist not a heist out, but there's a uh outlaw warrant. Okay. And I think they go and and but anyways. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's been a while. I gotta check it out again. I know that there's some yeah. So uh we'll both be fresh to it. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, Bone Tomahawk is the movie that Mac picked for episode seven of our podcast. So if you don't want to be spoiled for that, when we uh, talk about it, check it out. Um, And also, we'll probably be talking about The French Dispatch uh, by Wes Anderson. So uh, watch that before episode seven comes out. You can find us on YouTube, the Neon Crew podcast, and... Uh, also Spotify, we're on Spotify and uh, spot it up, spot it up. And then if you could uh, subscribe to us on our YouTube channel, that would be lovely. I would love you forever. I will like you for always. I will come over to your house and I'll kiss you, but only if that's okay. On the cheek, on the cheek, no tongue, maybe the forehead too. Really? If you're lucky. Okay. That's right. Um, oh. So- just singing like a priest. You come in there, kick down the door, walk in there. They get on their knees. You just walk up. You've been blessed, my child. And then you walk. Yeah. You've been blessed by Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Deep. Um, existential. Uh, so yeah. Any uh, any parting words, Mac? No. No. Hey. No. WWTHD. Yeah. What would Tom Hardy do? I'll tell you what Tom Hardy uh, wouldn't do. No, stop. I, I, he uh, <laughs> won't make Venom three. <laughs> uh, we'll see. All right, peace out, everybody. Bye bye.